0: Thanks for tuning in, everybody. If you're new to the show, I'd like to say welcome. If you're a returning listener, I'd like to say welcome back. Before we get started, I'd just like to ask you a favor. If you're currently streaming this episode, would you mind stopping it and downloading the episode and then listening to it? It's a good way for me to keep track of the downloads. And to be honest with you, the more downloads I get, the more I get paid. I would really appreciate it if you wouldn't mind doing that and maybe do it for all the content creators that you enjoy listening to. It's a great way for us to keep track of the downloads and put a little extra money in our pocket so if i could ask you for one favorite that would be it now on to the show This is Coliseum Chronicles the Penalty Box, your source for Islanders Enforcer talk. Proud member of the Hockey Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Joe Lizito. And welcome to episode 126. You people out there, we're going off the island again, this time with Ken McCrae. And this is part one of two. But before we get to that, if you're on social media and you'd like to connect to myself or the show... Please follow the links in the show notes. You'll be able to find quick links to Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and uh, it'll bring you right to the pages, and let's connect. Also, you'll find a link in the show notes for a children's book called Islanders A to Z. That was written by Joe Buono and illustrated by the great Joe Maricich. Joe Maricich is the local Long Island artist who designed the logo for this very program, and if you're interested in hiring Joe, that's Joe Marisich, not Joe Buono, although I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe Joe Buono has some talents you want to hire him for. I don't know. I can't say for sure. But if you have an art project and you'd like to hire Joe Maricich, you can reach him on Twitter at GraphicsJoker or at LoudEgg.com. As I mentioned, I am a proud member of the Hockey Podcast Network who recently signed their 100th show. I'm lucky to be one of those 100, and each team has at least one program dedicated to that team. As far as the Islanders go, I keep saying I think there's three. I do think there's three, and one of these days, maybe I'll go find out for sure. But I haven't, so I'm going to stick with three. And I'm guessing, you know, maybe there's at least two for each team. But uh, no matter what team you root for, check out the network. There'll be a show on there for you. Now, if you like shows like this, dealing mostly with the uh, more violent aspect of the game or the violent aspect of the way the game used to be played, I have a couple of other shows here that I think you may want to check out. First and foremost, the Fourth Line Voice podcast with my pal Darren up in Saskatoon. Uh, he is the OG of the hockey podcast genre. His latest episode is the one I mentioned in uh, the Friday episode, uh, the lost episode, the Dean Ewan epic part one. Um, he went over George Larocque's most memorable fights and um, my week on the internet. Again, if you are a regular listener to this show, you know, I love that. And uh, Darren also went over a few of the uh, hockey news enforcer week countdowns and uh i've made my feelings on those lists perfectly clear um some of them are good some of them are what you would expect from the hockey news and uh like like darren has said and like i have said it's just pretty hypocritical for uh, a publication that is so anti-fighting as the hockey news to uh to put out something like this but it's the summer so maybe they figured may- maybe people wouldn't notice but uh but yeah we do we we notice we're everywhere so uh But Darren, once again, he goes over a few of those lists. There's a couple of beauties on there, that's for sure. Uh, So I'll leave that up to you uh, to decide when you go and uh, listen to that episode. Also, the Five for Fighting podcast with Alec. Uh, Alec's latest episode was with Kelly Bent of the Wichita Thunder. I know upcoming he will be doing a top five East Coast Hockey League enforcer uh, list as done by the fans. And I certainly hope that Alec had an easier time. Uh, getting serious answers or actually getting any answers that didn't involve uh, picking apart his top five. Uh, But uh, I hope he had more success than I did. And uh, I'm looking forward to that episode. And of course the five in a game podcast with our friend from the Maritimes, Jordan, who is currently working in Alberta. But fall is right around the corner; he will be back at home and pumping out some new content for the five in a game podcast, and also, as far as the fourth line voice is concerned, and Five for fighting and Five in a game, please check out and subscribe to the YouTube channels that go along with each of those fine podcasts. So you got those podcasts, you have the corresponding YouTube channels, pretty much you're taken care of right there, but of course also keep it here too. listen to this show and check out the back catalog, not only of this show, but of those three shows as well. Uh, the heavyweight of the, uh, hockey podcast network is Terry Ryan tells with the TR, uh, his latest episode. I started listening to it today was with, uh, Ryan McDonald, who plays the goalie on Shorzy and, uh, season one. And, uh, he will be the goalie again on season two a uh, really really talented actor and um I, I hope to have him on this show at some point so uh but he's uh he's excellent and i believe terry has, has alluded to it um he alluded to it maybe a couple of months ago and then i think even in his uh introduction with mac, uh, mac d i guess uh today is a uh, future co-host so i think uh terry and ryan are are uh, planning a sh- another show Uh, where they would co-host it together. So that would definitely be something I would listen to as well. And if you're a familiar listener to this show, you know that I collect game used stuff from enforcers, mostly focusing on the Islanders and the Quebec Nordiques. For example, today's guest, Ken McRae. Well, I do own a Ken McRae game used stick. I believe it is from his time with the Phoenix Roadrunners. And I also own one of his uh, Quebec Nordiques practice jerseys. but. I'm always looking to add more stuff. So, if you have any Ken McRae items that you're looking to part with, please reach out to me and maybe we can work something out. Now, this episode is another off the island. It is one of the episodes that I uh, said during the Trevor Steinberg intro. That uh, Now that the Nordiques Knuckles podcast is dead and buried, I don't want those interviews to get lost in the shuffle. So I want to move those over to this library here. And um, so this is part one of the Ken McRae interview. Part two will happen next Monday. And uh, then after that, uh, at some point, I will have the Dave Marsnish interview and the Ivan Matulik interview. And then that's it for the Nordics Knuckles podcast uh, coming over here. So if you were a listener to the Nordics Knuckles and you listen to the Ken McRae episode, that's what this interview is. So I'd love for you to interview... I'd love for you to interview the episode. I'd love for you to listen to the episode again. I'd especially love it if you downloaded the episode before you listened to it. Uh, but, you know, again, if you have listened to it already, I get it. You may not want to listen to it again. But who who does that? Who does? You know you want to listen again. So just download this episode, listen to it again. Ken was an amazing guest, and this is just half of the interview. So please Check it out and enjoy it. So uh, I want to thank, I got a few uh, messages from people. Now, keep in mind, I'm recording this on Saturday. So the episode I just unloaded, uh, unloaded. <laughs> Can you tell I'm thinking about dinner? Maybe, I don't know. It's uh, it's Saturday. I haven't had my supper yet. But um, yesterday I uploaded uh, part one of the Dean Ewan Epic, uh, my first ever interview. And the reason I did that is because I found out that uh, my first eight episodes are not available right now on any platform. So um, I would like to have uh, listeners to this show who may not have been a listener at the time. I'd like to give you guys the opportunity to catch up on some of the earlier ones. And that includes my chats with Dean Ewan and Mick Vakoda and Paul Cruz, Mike McWilliam. Uh, I believe also Brent Severin and Jamie Rivers, but I'm going to just check into that as I go along. So um, as I said in the Dean Ewan episode, probably for about the next 10 weeks, uh, you'll get two episodes a week from me. You'll get the new episodes on Monday and you'll get the um, the uh, the lost episodes on Friday. And I, I have, uh, a few irons in the fire as far as interviews go. Uh, I'm hoping to get at least one interview done next week, maybe two. Uh, so hopefully I can get that done and bring some, uh, especially new content to you. And, uh, and yes, I have gotten a few messages from people who are asking me if I'm ever going to interview anyone with the Islanders again. And, uh, the answer is hopefully yes. Um, part of the reason why I stopped doing the show in the first place is because I kind of ran out of guys to interview with the team. Uh not that I've interviewed them all, but guys that say yes and or actually get back to you and don't ghost you. So for now, uh because I've expanded the repertoire here, I'm going to take advantage of uh having friends that I've made over the years that would make great interviews. So um so I'm going to take advantage of that. So yes, the the show is not changing formats. It's still uh, the base of the show is still the Islanders and Forcers, but I don't want there to be a lack of content, which is why I'm bringing you the episodes that I did for the Nordiques Knuckles. And also, and this is Islanders content, those lost episodes from the origins of the show. Got that. That's a lot of information, right? Well, What we'll do then is uh, I'll stop talking. And uh, after this quick message, enjoy part one with Ken McRae. New customers, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code THPN. Bet just $5 to score $150 in bonus bets instantly. That's code THPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Massachusetts, call 800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369. In Kansas, call 1-800-522-4700 on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. In West Virginia, gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800GAMBLER.net. All games regulated by the West Virginia Lottery. Please play responsibly. In partnership with Hollywood Casino at Charlestown Races In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. 21-plus in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. One boost per eligible game. Opt-in required. Max bet $50. 10-plus legal requirement for 100% boost. Eligibility, wagering, and deposit restrictions apply terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash baseball terms. Ladies and gentlemen, today it is a it is a pleasure to welcome uh Ken McRae to the show. You may know Ken McRae from his time with Quebec. Uh obviously Toronto has a has a pretty big fan base, so you may know Ken McRae from his stint with the Maple Leafs. But however you know Ken McRae, I'm hoping that you know him a little bit better once this interview is over. So uh Ken, I just want to welcome you to the show and thank you for your time.
1: Oh, thanks for having me, Joe. Appreciate it.
0: So, um, we'll get started, and and I like to get started right from the beginning. So, when I started doing the research, uh, a lot of places have you born in Winchester, Ontario, but I've also seen reference to a Finch, Ontario. I'm assuming these are probably small towns very close to each other, uh, but can you tell me what is uh, accurate? And uh, So, is it Winchester or Finch?
1: Well, I was born in Winchester, which is about... 20 minutes up the road from Finch. Um, Finch is where I was basically, I guess, called my hometown. I lived in a small town of Berwick for a little while, but Finch is my hometown. 400 people, small little community, Front Street, Main Street, and that's about it.
0: <laughs> and uh, and just for geographical purposes, for those of us not from Ontario, how far would you say this? Is this closer to Toronto? Or is it closer to Ottawa?
1: Yeah, it's in between Cornwall and Ottawa. So it's about half hour from Cornwall, Ontario, and about – they're 45 minutes from Ottawa.
0: yeah. Okay. And um, the question I ask everybody when I when I first get started is, uh, if I had a time machine and I went back to uh, to a rink in Finch, Ontario, uh, when Ken McRae was a kid, uh, who did you try to emulate? Who was your favorite player as a youngster?
1: Well, my idol was Daryl Sittler growing up, <clears throat> 27 for the Leafs, and uh, that's who I was every time I played uh, <laughs> street hockey, ball hockey, you name it.
0: So we're gonna uh, move on. Well, Daryl Sittler, by the way, it's a pretty good, uh, pretty good idol to have. So, uh, so I don't want to just uh, not comment on that. Yeah, he's a great player, obviously. <laughs> Look at me saying Daryl Sittler's a great player. Yeah, okay, Captain. Obvious. <laughs> but uh, we move on to your time in the CJHL with the Hawkesbury Hawks, and um, that was, um, I guess, is that midget hockey? Is that uh, what? What rank is that? Uh, junior B? What's uh, what level? No, that, that was. Yeah, that
1: was Central Junior A, so uh, same league that Signy would have played in. He's mm-hmm. Brockville Braves were in that league. Uh, and, um, yeah, so the Hawksbury Hawks is Central Junior A. It's, uh, yeah, it's a very good league, and yeah, I was pretty young heading into that, and great experience there.
0: Yeah, and, and uh, I think this may be where, obviously, I would imagine before this for you to even make this team, but I, I just want to note for people that in 51 games that you're you had 88 points. You're well over a point a game. Uh, Maybe a a little sign of things to come with some physicality with the 77 PIMS, but 88 points. I think I said it in the Steiny interview, in any league in Canada uh, with any sort of teeth in it, to get 88 points in 51 games as a kid, that's pretty impressive.
1: Uh, Yeah, playing playing in that league against 20 and 21-year-old guys, and I was uh, 16 at that time. So, yeah, it was – it was it was a battle every night uh, I had the fortunate thing to play with some good linemates back then I had some good veteran players that that helped me along the way and and actually funny story is I had I still lived at home even though Hawkesbury was about an hour away and went to my same school um, and we kind of carpooled and I wasn't even I didn't even have, have my license I don't think at that time uh, yet so uh, three guys from Cornwall um, played on the team as well so I'd meet them kind of Goed halfway my parents would drop me off and we'd drive in to practice and drive back every night so it was it wasn't just like you were living on a bill at home it was traveling and uh, it was quite an experience
0: and uh, a very successful year for you you ended up being the cjhl rookie of the year which i guess is no small feat like you said playing junior hockey and i don't know if a lot of people in the states that aren't rabid hockey fans realize this like you pointed out you're playing against men a lot of these guys are 19 20 21 and when you're 22 playing against a 24 year old things are sort of even but when you're 16 playing against a 20 year old that's got to be imposing on some nights
1: oh it is for sure there were some big boys playing back then and you know i i was just kind of starting to to get uh, I was likely a little bit um below average uh height at that time i think so i was just getting into the six foot range likely so uh <laughs> uh it was quite a it was quite a battle, and I did have some some scraps. I tried to stick up for myself as best I could but uh um we had some other guys in the team, older guys that took care of that and helped us out young helped us young guys
0: out and uh was this a season that um you were trying out for an uh a, a midget team that was going to play a two game series against a soviet midget team Do you remember that
1: uh, i don't recall that i,
0: I I'm trying to. I
1: played midget hockey the year before in Cornwall, okay. and then went to the CJHL the next
0: year. Okay, um, and then once I commit to the CJHL, I wasn't. I don't believe it allowed. You know, able to right. play anywhere else. Yeah. So. Um, so now, you said that you had listened to the first first uh, part of the interview I did with Steiny there. So a similar question. Um, obviously, the way that the sport itself is covered now, um, it's not covered anywhere near. Back then it wasn't covered anywhere near as it is now, but I always wonder in the small towns in Ontario, so you were obviously one of the big prospects for the OHL, so in your town, was the OHL draft a big deal, and what kind of coverage did it get uh, in terms of you You were going to be a high pick? Do you remember uh, what it was like in your town uh, leading up to the OHL draft?
1: Yeah, I do. It was uh, pretty exciting, like from a town of 400 people, and I did listen to what Steiny's answer was to that, and and it was you know we had the local paper come out and do an interview um you know at that time it was getting ramped up a little bit I had a few agents that were coming to the house to visit me at that time to to see if I they if they could represent me and and I had a big following of friends and family that it, it was a pretty big thing and um around our area there's not much else going on but hockey yeah. <laughs> so it was a it was a pretty big deal right up until draft day there was a lot of uh, dramatics when the actual draft happened, uh, the kind of behind-the-scenes things that we can talk about um, that yep. happened the night of the draft. So it was it was exciting times, and, yeah, it was a pretty big
0: thing. Now uh, I'm going to assume this was the um, – uh, Kingston was very interested in you. Um, I know that they were also interested in Adam Graves, but Adam Graves had said he wasn't going to play there. And I know, I guess it was the night of the draft that your agent and yourself decided that Kingston wasn't the right fit for you. What was going on with Kingston at the time? And, and what led to your decision to tell them that, uh, you'd rather go another way?
1: Well, and like you said, Gravy was likely going to be the top player pick, but <clears throat> was only interested in playing uh, in one spot. And, um, and and he was a hell of a hockey player yeah. um, and, and a hell of a guy. Likely mm-hmm. one of the best guys I've met. And yeah. I don't know him real well, but an unbelievable guy. And obviously what happened in Kingston, uh, I ended up taking Brian Fogarty and Foggy and, and I played together in Quebec yeah. down the road after that. Uh, rest in peace, Brian. Yeah. And um, so what basically happened was I went to bed that night, uh, Waking up a Kingston uh, uh, Kingston player, mm-hmm. um, I guess it was Kingston Canadians yeah. back then. Mm-hmm. And um, middle of the night, um, something happened where basically, um, through my agent, uh, they weren't going to honor uh, a schooling package. So in other words, anybody drafted, you know, gets a schooling package. Uh, if you don't make the NHL or don't move on, you get four years of your tuition books, all that at a Canadian university. Mm-hmm. Um, and bottom line is that was basically a stumbling point. Sudbury was offering everything to me, um, in regards to schooling after the fact and and Kingston wasn't. And, um, and if that's the case, what they sold my agent, Donnie Meehan, um, we decided that, uh, you know, it wasn't going to work and, and basically they got a hell of a player Brian Fogarty too. Um, and, and I ended up
0: going a little further North to Sudbury. I, I always thought that the uh, schooling package was automatic. It's not automatic? I think it is now. Okay. Back then, though, it
1: was always negotiable. Um, I'm oh, not, wow. I think now it's likely tiered. like me having coached a few years you know, I tell with Pete's back, uh, back when I moved back to Canada from the U.S., it, right. everybody got something schooling-wise, but back then it was a negotiable thing, right? And, uh, and um, yeah, it just didn't work out. So Sudbury was great for me, and uh, no,
0: I had no, uh, no issues going there at all. So obviously, uh the time being what it is now, I have to ask you with your Sudbury roots, uh have you watched Shorzy at all?
1: I haven't yet, no. Okay. I haven't watched it yet, but I uh I've gotta get I've gotta get out and watch that. <laughs> I got I I've heard many good things about
0: it. It's excellent. It's excellent, you know. So uh so that's why I was wondering. I figured I'd ask you what your Sudbury ties if uh if you uh, and it's unfortunate you didn't get to be a blueberry wolf, which you'll understand when you watch the uh, when you watch okay. the show. <laughs> so uh, so you go to Sudbury. A couple of players want to ask you about uh, someone who you will play with uh, down the road, also, and that's the mad, mad, mad Max Max Middendorf. What were your impressions of Max?
1: Max was a great man. Uh, I love Max. Um, we uh, we had some fun times in Sudbury, and like I said, we ended up going on and you know playing together in, in Quebec and in Halifax down the road. And um, Sudbury, you know, we had we had a lot of you know good players on that team my first year, and, um, and Max was a phenomenal junior hockey player. Like he was so big, and, and just had you know for a big man back then, the the moves he had. Um, not many big guys could could do that, and, and that was Max right there to a T. But uh, yeah, we had some good times, and um, you know, likely some maybe some too good at times in the <laughs> rock at times as young guys. But uh, but like I said, it was uh, he was he was a phenomenal hockey player. Uh, you know, we had some. You know, he, I was younger going in. He was a little bit older than I am. So you know, we he he was a good leader on our hockey team for
0: sure. And another player, not a physical player, but someone who, who again, you played with uh, down the road. Uh, really good defenseman. I, I'd say almost underrated. kind of goes under the radar now if you didn't watch him play, and that's Jeff Brown.
1: Yeah, Brownie, <clears throat> Brownie and I, yeah. we. Brownie's from Ottawa originally, and uh, I used to travel <clears throat> to Sudbury with him and back uh, at Christmas time and back up for the rest of the year. And And <clears throat> he was, you know, again, he was – yeah, at that point, Brownie likely could have been playing in the NHL yeah. as an 18, 19 year old, and Quebec sent him back down to, to, I guess, you know, mature more as a player, and just a phenomenal defenseman. Led the, you know, led the team power play. You know, he was he played all situations back then, and and yeah, two guys right there that yeah you know, we ended up moving on and going into the same organization in Quebec. So,
0: sure uh what'd you think of uh bob strum now I, i'm familiar with bob strum from his days in the in the ihl uh i i didn't wasn't aware that he was your coach in the mid 80s in sudbury
1: he never made it to sudbury um, oh okay summer.
0: yeah yeah so what <laughs> happened is yeah he uh going
1: in he was going to be the coach and something happened where uh he never, ever ended up coming, but I was being, dra- you know, drafted by the general manager, and then Bob was going to be the coach, so it ended up being Wayne Maxner, okay. uh, took that job over, and, and Max was the coach, so, um, yeah, I was, you never, I never got to, uh-huh. I think I had some conversations, I've ever called on the phone back then, but other than that, I never got, never got him as a coach. <laughs> oh,
0: okay, so how was, uh, how was your transition going to the OHL? I mean, at that point, I, I mean, you you hear people all the time and I think they're just uneducated. They don't, if you, if you don't really know the sport, you don't realize how, how good, you know, major junior hockey is. And for a lot of guys, this is the peak. This is, this is uh, the highest level that they'll attain. And uh, how was the transition for you? Because your numbers say that it was, it was pretty smooth.
1: Yeah, it was. I, I actually had the fortunate, uh, I guess you call it fortunate. It was a quite an experience. I got called up out of Hamilton. I'm just looking at uh, looking here, and back in 87, 88, I played one game in the NHL. I got called out a junior. I was actually playing for, I think, the Hamilton Steelhawks at the time in Sudbury, and I got a phone call saying, you're getting called up. Bill LaForge, who was a legendary uh, <laughs> junior hockey coach, uh, and, and some of the, some of the experience I had in Hamilton were just great under him mm-hmm. um, some people couldn't play for the guy so right I, I relished under the guy mm-hmm. um, but I got called up and you know I remember going uh, yeah you're going to Quebec and you're playing your first NHL games at the Montreal Canadiens night I'm like oh so I flew right out of Sudbury <laughs> flew to flew out of Sudbury uh, Sudbury to Toronto I think Toronto to Quebec City and so forth and end uh, ended up playing my first game as an 18-year-old in the NHL, and it, was a, it was just a crazy experience. What a rivalry, Quebec-Montreal. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, obviously finished the year um, in Hamilton coming back. And then after the playoffs that year, I ended up going to play uh, in Fredericton. And I played a few few games in, in the uh, American League in the playoffs that year. They had a really good run. They went all the way to the, the Calder Cup Finals. So I didn't get a lot of ice, but so it was just more for the experience of being there around the older guys, veteran guys. Um, lost to a Hershey team in the Calder Cup Finals that I think they won 12 games in a row that year to win the, uh, oh, <laughs> the American yeah. League title. Um, so, yeah, the transition kind of started out that way. And then, yeah, right into right into pro hockey um, after my last year and, and started in Halifax and, and got the call-up partway through the class. Yeah,
0: so we're going we're gonna... to... Uh, circle back to the OHL though too because you mentioned a couple of things that I really want to get into details not the least of which was Bill LaForge uh, because he seems like my kind of coach to be honest with you but I know he's not everyone's cup of tea Um, before we get before we get into that though um, after your first year with Sudbury now now the NHL draft is coming up so obviously this is a, a bigger deal in the landscape of the sport maybe not in your small town but um when did you start hearing that you could potentially be a first round pick
1: about i guess it was you know before christmas of the first year in junior in sudbury uh you know my agent and i was having a pretty solid season campaign and there's a rookie and and um you know he was basically telling me you know you're, you're right now as a you know, the first set of rankings come out gradually and, you know, you're rated in the top 20 or whatever, 25. And so I kind of had a feeling and, and, and I just, you know, it was one of those things that, you know, great honor, obviously, just to be rated. Um, but that pushes you a little extra um, to get out there and, and really go hard after it. And, and like I said, I, I was just a guy that like, I think similar to Steiny, I just came to the rank and you put the work boots on and you went to work and, whatever happened happened if I had to fight I fought if I had to score I tried to score and 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 you know it worked out and in, 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 in relevant in relevancy I guess to yeah. me being a first round pick by uh, the Quebec Nordiques
0: now uh, prior to the draft do you remember who else you interviewed with because a lot of times how many times do you hear it where the team that picked you you didn't even interview with them um, well <laughs> Did you interview with it's Quebec? It's funny you say that. Yeah. yeah, it's funny you say that because
1: Steiny said the same thing. Yeah. Quebec didn't interview him, and, and I didn't interview with Quebec either. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I was rated – I think the highest I was rated was 12th, I believe. I think I ended up with the final rankings around 12 or 13 or somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of good hockey players in, in that draft. Uh, Joe Murphy went number one. Um, so I had interviewed with a bunch of other teams, Chicago, Washington. I think I almost interviewed with almost every team in that kind of range that was going to pick anywhere from number 10 to number 20 mm-hmm. end of the first round at that time with, I think there was 20, I think there was 20 or 21 team in the NHL. Yep. So whenever I thought for sure I was going to go to Chicago, to be honest with you, uh, Chicago had talked to me a bit. And uh, my agent thought it was a good feeling there. When it came to that pick, they picked Everett Santapas, who is a good man yep. right there himself. And mm-hmm. I played with him a little bit with the Quebec system down the road. Yep. So when they when they picked uh, Everett, I didn't know where I was going. Mm-hmm. And then we kind of the next few teams after that, we were like, well, it ain't going to happen there. And so we thought for sure Washington, mm-hmm. uh, because we had talked with Washington a lot and, um, and ended up not going there. And the next thing you know, I'm in Quebec. <laughs> so in the Montreal Forum in Quebec as I go down the stairs getting booed and right. you know the drafts in Montreal it's a huge rivalry so you know welcome to the NHL son you're getting booed as you're walking down the stairs.
0: <laughs> and, and as I as I discussed with Steiny and a lot of guys that walk down the stairs is nerve-wracking enough and now you're 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 trying not to trip and you're getting booed like it, it had to just be comical.
1: Well, it was, you know, I have all my family there, and some friends in the stands, aunts, uncles, grandparents, and yeah, you just you're just worried about, you know, not falling down the <laughs> stairs. But now you're trying to, like Ziony so said, you're trying to find the table, find where they got your your hand. They're holding your shirt there, and then the, the crowd is just booing the crap out of me, and I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, in your head, you're going, holy fuck,
0: what's going on here? <laughs> Welcome to the rivalry.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: So, um. I want to talk about your first training camp with Quebec, and that's because you're the first-round pick, but you're still just a kid. And now I I just want to throw some names out at you just to kind of where I'm going with this. You're walking into a dressing room, and there are guys like Peter and Anton Stastny and Michel Goulet and Dale Hunter. So, you know, those are your upper echelon guys. Then there's guys, like you said, you know, when you had a battle, you battled. There's guys with a physical presence in there, like Gord Donnelly, Paul Gillis, Randy Moeller, And then you have the guys like yourself trying to make an impression, guys like Richard Zemlak, Stephen Finn, Stiney, Shaughnessy, Max. Uh, As an 18-year-old, like, what what do you remember walking into that room really for the first time and maybe, like I said, getting a glimpse of Peter Stastny or Goulet?
1: Well, it was a pretty awing moment is what you want to say. Like, you know, you watch those guys uh, as you grew up. Even though I was a Toronto Maple Leafs fan, I – anybody i watched a lot of hockey as much as i could like like trevor said on the dial tv back then but <laughs> um you know peter was just an unbelievable guy uh, michelle goulet you, you look down the list of guys everybody was so good to it so good to us not only me to all of the young guys i thought you know there, you know sometimes when you go to new teams and there's always you know a guy that maybe you know he didn't think brought you know didn't feel good about but that team everybody on it and like Trevor said, I think they were just kind of, you know, retooling it, coming back. They had some good years, and they were starting to kind of try to get back on track. And and, and back then, yeah, like the Goulais and uh, Dale Hunter, like just a phenomenal guy and leader. Like guys like that, it's always, I was a little bit in awe, but once you get in the locker room, you know what? It's just like uh, everybody always says, you know, when you're a hockey player, you haven't seen a guy for 15 years. For example, like Darren Kimball, I haven't seen Kimby in years, but me and Kimby lived together in Quebec. If I saw him tomorrow, yeah. it'd be just like yesterday. So mm-hmm. they really welcomed us into the locker room, and it, it was that made things a lot easier, that's for sure.
0: And uh, another guy, not very big in stature, but uh, I think uh, a. Big time presence as the coach, Michel Bergeron. You're you're a guy who watches hockey. You you see him yelling on the bench and everything. Like I said, not intimidating physically, but I I, I loved I loved him. What were your impressions of Coach Bergeron?
1: Well, I loved Bergie uh, the fatigue Tigre they called him in Quebec there, and uh, he was full of fire and piss um, and vinegar and you name it. And, and like I said, I I loved. Uh, Loved him the chance to play for him. I wish I could have played for him longer. Yeah. Um, But obviously that didn't work out. But uh, like I said, he was he was he was fiery and he let let you know it. Um, You know the X's and O's maybe weren't uh, as big back then. It was more about uh, you know basically focus on getting the guys ready and getting them pumped up and revved up. And he sure did that uh, with our uh, Quebec teams.
0: Obviously making the team making Quebec that year was not even an option. I think for all the kids, it was just more the experience. So taking that experience of your first training camp and getting into some exhibition games and heading back to the OHL, did you feel 10 feet tall? Like you had to feel pretty good going back to the OHL after that camp.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. It was a great experience. And, and anytime, time you get sent down, you're upset. I don't care who you are. You can say you're not, but you are whether you're 18 or 25 going back to the minors and going back to Hall or to sorry, back to junior, you know, was, you know, it, it happens. Um, you know, it was my first training camp and pretty much knew you weren't going to make the team. But like you said, you still have so you some of the proof, right? So you want to go back and, you know, I ended up going back to Sudbury and, and had a pretty solid start to the season there. But, you know, we were, we were a struggling team and ended up getting traded to Hamilton, which was a, uh, which was a good thing um, for me, and um, you know, and started my journey there in Hamilton with Bill Forge.
0: Well, uh, and, a, and a player that I believed you played with. Well, I know you played with him in Sudbury, and, and maybe later on in Hamilton also. Uh, Wayne Doucette, someone who, know, yeah. who I know I know pretty well. I had him as a guest on my former show. I love Deuce. Uh, I reached out to Deuce to see if he had any uh, any nuggets on you and everything, and he said no. He said uh, he just remembers that you were really good to him in his rookie year, and uh, then he played with you in Hamilton, and then he played with you down the road in Phoenix. He said you were a great guy, uh, very tough, uh, always scoring. He says he always remembers you scoring, and you were a great teammate. So uh, yeah. this love fest, continue it. What do you remember about Deuce? Well, I, I
1: love Deuce too. He was a great uh, great kid, and like I said, he he was a warrior. Played hard. Uh, he was a good hockey player, and and like I said, we uh, we enjoyed some time together. Not a ton, but yeah. a little bit here and there. And like I said, in Hamilton and Sudbury and that. And, and um, like I said, I appreciate the kind words from Deuce for sure because he's a, he's a good man. I still see him on Facebook and mm-hmm. stay in touch every now and then. Say hi and that. So,
0: so you alluded to uh, the season in Sudbury when I was researching this and I was scrolling down the hockey DB, when you go to that season, the 86, 87 in Sudbury, you're scrolling a long time. There were a lot of guys who played for Sudbury that year. Uh, what was, what was going on there? What was the issue?
1: I don't know. I
0: I, I just feel like, you know, the, the team, you know, the team was
1: struggling um, and, and Wayne Maxner wasn't a, was a coach that wasn't afraid to make changes and. And I think if I look back, uh, you know, I look back and they got rid of Max and brought Gee Blanchard in, and and there was a lot of changes. We had that huge there was a huge trade that I was involved in uh, with Hamilton. There were some other big trades that were made that year, and they just went out and you know basically retooled the whole. They were trying to turn the whole thing around and, and got rid of a lot of guys, and it happens. Um, you know, you maybe don't see it as much now in junior. Uh, you see top end guys move a little bit near the deadline but this was an early in the season trade the one that happened with me for the most part you know 27 games in or whatever it was
0: now did you um obviously you had played against Hamilton so you were aware of Bill LaForge Um, was this a trade that you were um, happy about you were looking forward to maybe a change of scenery and playing for coach LaForge
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. You'd heard the stories about, uh, about Bill, and, uh, yeah. and and most of them are, are pretty accurate. And, uh, you know, <laughs> but uh, it was a great, uh, like I said, I love playing for the guy. I, I, I wish I got hurt, broke my collarbone, and and broke my jaw uh, in a fight with Chris King, I guess. It yep. was uh, Peterborough. So I missed a lot of time in the 86, 87 season um, that I wish I had back a bit more because uh, I know I would add a a good soldier. I came back tried to play in the playoffs and, and and you know I was coming back from injury and still kind of likely maybe like Trevor said you never want to say you shouldn't be playing or anything but likely came back a bit early and um, but Bill yeah battling Billy LaForge we had some uh, fun times and some of the some of the things he did as a coach weren't thought well after but uh, <laughs> as young kids it motivated us and got us ready to go
0: you know what I uh, you know obviously I, I wasn't OHL wasn't on TV here in New York at the time, but, you know, the stuff I've read about him since then, you know, unconventional, let's say. And uh, I'm just glad he's not, well, there's no chance he'd be able to coach today in today's game. But uh, I'm glad he coached when he did. And uh, I'm sure you're not the only guy that has good things to say about him.
1: Oh, no. He was a good man. And like you said, he just, he was any edge he could try and get, you know, try and get like something that be- yeah, you know, I laugh because I remember back then we wore the half cages and 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 basically guys would you know, they, they it was kind of like how do I say this? Bill Bill's like, Well, you're gonna get to fight, Let, you know, make sure the, the other guy hurts his hand somehow. So guys had taken their half shields and they had a half cages and filed them yeah, and like yeah. it was just stuff going on back then. Like it was like any edge you could get, right? And and he he tried to find it, I'll tell you that, in some some adventurous ways.
0: <laughs> yeah, and just, I mean, I'm sure everybody was, was like that. You know, you're filing down the visors. You're maybe loosening up the screws on the helmets a little bit so they they stick out a little bit. And uh, You know, yeah. like Killary scraping the, the front of the helmet. So yeah. you know, everyone was looking for an edge. It wasn't just Bill.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right.
0: And obviously uh, Bill was a guy who could appreciate toughness. Uh, there's a couple of guys you played with that first year in Hamilton, uh I'm sure NHL fans know Dennis Vial uh minor league hockey fans are well familiar with Gunnar Kirk Tomlinson and maybe an under the radar guy that not everyone knows about is Guy Girard if I'm saying his name right there can you yeah. talk about playing with those three guys
1: well for sure Kirk was a yeah Kirk was a gamer and and always was uh he could fire him like you said uh the lefts were going just as fast as the rights and and he could play too like you said he had 33 goals that year. Uh, know for numbers and and tough tough for size um you know funny story about uh not to get off track but with kirk um you know you watch and remember i remember him playing that he was signed by detroit or redrafted by detroit and we Detroit and we were playing him an exhibition and never forget this uh twister in quebec yeah. hit him with a punch and broke his helmet right in half in an exhibition game and it was I was just shaking my head sitting on the bench, going. The trainer was in awe because his helmet just was in two pieces. Like, so you know, Kirk would battle anybody, and, and not too many guys would battle Twister, I'll tell you that. And and um, you know, you go with like you say, Guy Girard, and he, he was just a tough stay-home defenseman. He's still in the game, coaching. Um, he's coaching assistant coach and Major Junior out out in the uh, uh, Quebec League in the the Maritimes, and and he was a tough man. And and Dennis, well, Dennis was just, you know, Dennis was Dennis. He he played hard. You want to talk about an intense individual, that guy there was as tense as they come, and and a very good teammate doing anything for you. So we we were well covered in the toughness part. of think there were some other guys on that team that were, uh, you know, one thing playing for Bill, no matter how tough you were, you had to show up. And as long as you showed up, he was fine with it. But if you didn't show up, you might not play
0: much <laughs> yeah it's funny you talk about uh tomlinson's helmet so i don't know how much you could see in the back here but we're in my basement i got all my yeah. game you stuff here and uh, i was like man i would love to get my hands on that helmet you know get it get that helmet two pieces get twister to sign it get him to sign it that would <laughs> definitely be a collector's item
2: yeah know? that's for sure
0: <laughs> <laughs> um you mentioned the fight with chris king and that you suffered a broken jaw um what i want to point out is that you didn't come out of the game. You stayed in that game. Do you remember yeah. that?
1: Yeah, I do remember that. It was, uh, and and Peterborough always had a, a tough team. Yeah. And I remember playing, it was in Peterborough, and I got in a fight. And, you know, I just don't remember the fight all that good. I remember it was a decent scrap. but And King Kinger mm-hmm. hit me with one, and it just got me right on the button. And, mm-hmm. you know, he hurt and this. And that. finished the game, played. And on the way home, I can remember the bus strike going, geez, I like, trying to eat my pizza and couldn't get my mouth open very far and uh got back and the next day they 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 sent me to the hospital sure enough i you know broken jaw and gonna miss six weeks so that's devastating to a kid at that time so it was a long six weeks but yeah i do remember the ride home stayed in the game and still wanted to play you know i wanted to play the full cage, but they wouldn't let us back then so it was a little bit of a time
0: off for sure yeah, and then you mentioned you also broke your collarbone. So you really never kind of got traction with, with Hamilton that season, I guess. And then you eventually played in the playoffs. But um, the next season now, you're going into Quebec for your second training camp. Um, I guess from a personal level, obviously you had your first camp, and, and that was that went how it went and everything. And But now you're going into your second camp. You already went through a training camp. You already went through some exhibition games. But going through the injuries you went through, did you almost feel like personally you just want to you had not maybe something to prove to yourself? You know, those collarbones got to suck and the broken jaws got to suck. And now you're back playing with the big boys. Did you did you have sort of that sense where you want to prove something to yourself?
1: Oh, for sure. It was an injury-plagued year. And I, I can't remember. I think it was Andre Savard coaching then. And, you know, he kind of reamed into me and, at training camp and <clears throat> i wasn't you know i'm not afraid to say it I, I don't know i don't think i'm the only guy that wasn't a, a fan of andre's andre was a pretty intense guy and told the way it was and, and you know and i you know i was injured and I, I think i broke my collarbone again that summer before that training camp in the in a car accident i had rebroke oh, the same collarbone so i had spent a lot of time recovering so kind of going into quebec that year i worked real hard to get in shape obviously and get healthy <clears throat> and then you know, things didn't work out. I thought I had a really good chance to possibly play in the team. I had a good training camp, good exhibition season. Um, and I guess he didn't think so. So he sent me back. <laughs> so I went back a little bit of chip on my shoulder, but knowing that I was going back to, you know, going back to, to Hamilton and, and you know, it was going to be a, a good, strong team. And, you know, I, I went back and we had a solid, real solid year and a heck of a year. Lost lost, well, we lost to Windsor and Adam Graves in the conference finals, and they won the Memorial yeah. Cup that year, else I think it could have been very well last winter the
0: Cup. Well, you said you had a strong team in Hamilton. Now, I know what you mean, but I think it could also be used in terms of powerful. Uh, as we mentioned, Bill of Forge likes his tough guys, and so it looks like Gunnar was gone. You still had uh, Dennis and Guy. Um, you added a little bit of toughness here. You added Paul Laws, uh, Jason yeah. Simon, Keith Primo, and uh, Alain LaForge, who I believe is Mark LaForge's brother, uh, so you know mm-hmm. they're tough there. So uh, I guess uh, I guess this must have been an interesting team to play with. Oh,
1: it was for sure. You know, we added some real tough guys and we had some real firepower there. As you see, like Sandrulia had a lack of points that year, and and in Ronnie Bernacchi, who was a, just a, a bulldog at center. You wouldn't think he had 124 pims that year. I think looking at Hockey DB here, but. He was tough too. He played hard, um, but yeah, all those guys, Paul Louse, like there's a guy there that you don't want to mess with, right? And 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 he showed it turning pro later and being a force with the Florida oh, Panthers for oh, years yeah. there. Um, but yeah, we've had some battles there, and I can remember we had a big brawl against Windsor and in uh, one night, and and it was uh, it was quite a mess. And I don't think there was, you know, usually sometimes in a brawl there's. Three or four fights, and everybody else is just paired off. Yeah, I think that night we had a brawl against Windsor. I think ninety percent of the people were actually fighting. So <laughs> it was quite a, it was quite a brawl. But we had a heck of a team that year, and 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 like I said, we got beat out by Adam Greaves. If you ever looked at that Windsor roster for that year? They were, they were a real heavy heavy oh, yeah. team too. And um, we uh, we gave it all, but come up short. But it was, uh, it was a hell of a year that
0: year. That's for sure. Yeah, I want to ask you about Windsor, but before we get to that, so I want to talk about the game that you mentioned you got called up uh, to Quebec. Now, um, I I know a lot of times junior guys will stay with teams in the beginning of the season, and then they could play, I think, nine games, and then the team has to make a decision. So I guess my question is, I just found it odd that you were called up in February, but is that the same deal? You You could be called up whenever, play X number of games, but you'd have to go back?
1: Uh, back then I think the only way they could recall you <clears throat> back then and that's why it was only for one game. It was on emergency recall. Okay. They okay. called it. It was a different real Emergency recall and for some reason they couldn't I don't know if their American league team was somewhere else. They couldn't right. get a okay. get, couldn't get a player in, but mm-hmm. it was just kind of an they were allowed to call a call a junior guy up from emergency recall. So yeah, I was just I knew it was only gonna be for one game or right. two games at the most back, but mm-hmm. uh, still quite an experience that to go in and play montreal on your first game (laughs) oh well that's
0: what i want to ask you so you found out the night before you said right
1: yeah i found out um yeah the night before i was in sudbury and then i think i flew out that morning of the game or that night before or whatever and right into quebec and play in montreal the next day yeah
0: were you were your parents able to get to the game no i don't believe they were able
1: to get to that game if i'm I think they were watched. I think they watched it on TV, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but I could be wrong. But that's a long time ago. But uh, yeah, I was a little bit nervous heading into that game. <laughs> well,
0: that's, so that's what I want. I want to talk about. I want you to take me through that day. So now you, you get you get there. Um, are you able to have your your pregame meal? Are you able to take a nap? Because you know you, you know the routine. You you have the morning skate, then you you eat, then you take the nap. You're just a kid playing against Montreal thankfully it wasn't in the forum i guess it took a little bit of the edge (laughs) off but uh i mean take me through that day were you able to eat and sleep uh what was that day like before the game
1: yeah i think i got i got by the time i got all settled in i think i was able to get in the app checked into hotel for the afternoon and Mm -hmm. and, you know relax for a little bit but i don't think i slept very much that day (laughs) it was just about going out and playing and and um, like I said, I didn't play a ton that night. Um, you know, I was like a fourth line or whatever. But uh, it, you know, just the experience of getting out in there and playing, I was pretty nervous. And and those veteran guys helped out, right? Like they were pretty pretty good. And and once the puck dropped, and I can't remember the score. I think it was one. I think we either lost one nothing or two to one. It was a real close yeah. It was a one goal game. game. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one goal hockey game, and it was um, you know it was just getting the feet wet but um i was nervous as hell and um but i I, what an experience that's all i can say for sure
0: well that's what i want to ask because i know and i've heard guys say this before whenever you're going up a level once the puck drops it's just hockey so that's why a lot of the questions i have are before the puck drops. so then like i got another one like you said i was going to ask you did any of the veterans come over and kind of tap you on the shoulder and just say don't worry kid you got this whatever and then I wanted to know about taking the warm up and like you're you're taking the warm up now. Now, obviously, you have some great players on your team, but now you're looking across the red line and it's the Canadians. And then like standing there for the national anthem on the bench. I mean, this is just I'm getting goosebumps and I didn't even go through it. And that's why I say all this all this stuff happens before the game, because once the game starts, the puck drops, it's hockey. But yeah. what, what was that like during the warm up and, and just being on the bench for the anthem for in in Quebec against Montreal playing the Canadian national anthem it had to be just amazing.
1: Oh, it was. You know, the, the, it felt like the longest. You know, you used to get to the rink a couple hours before the game, and it <clears throat> felt like the longest two hours uh, sitting there waiting for warm up, and then you know, then going out for warm up. It wasn't by, like it is now. They they don't send you out by yourself. Right, without, right. You know, but the, the best part was, you know, you're as a kid, you're, like, going, hey, I'm going to take warm-up, but I don't have to wear a bucket. Like, I don't have to wear my helmet. Like, so you're going out, you get the hair flowing, and everybody had the mullets back then. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, warm-up, it was, you know, and then you look across in Montreal and see who they have on their team, and, and you're just, like, you know, once you hit the ice, I found the nerves went away. Um, during the anthem, you know, you're so focused. Like, you're, you're you know – you're into it, and like I said, and then once the puck drops, you know how that goes. But beforehand, once you get, once I get through warm up, I was feeling pretty good that I could go out and just be myself and play. Do
0: and you? I know you said you played fourth line. Do you remember who you played with that night?
1: I can't remember who it was that night. I'd have to. Yeah, it's such a. I played with a combination of a few guys, but I can't yeah. remember exactly
0: who it was. So you play the one game, you go back down to Hamilton. Now, I, I want to talk about this playoff run you had, and, just, just, and obviously you're a team guy, but I want to talk about your stats. You played 14 games, you had 22 points, 13 goals. Um, the, you beat North Bay, you beat London. Now, this Windsor team, so I was looking this up earlier today. Windsor didn't lose a game in the OHL playoffs and they didn't lose until the championship game in the Memorial Cup. They ran the table until the very last game. That that team had to be just a juggernaut.
1: Oh, well, they were they were they were scary good at that time. I you know that Graves, the Shannon brothers, yeah. um, I'm trying to remember back if the Boer was on that team or if he was earlier, but they had a, a phenomenal phenomenal team and I did you're right. I guess they didn't, they didn't lose a game until they finally lost in the Memorial Cup. And I'm yeah. very strong. If we, you know, could have beat them in our conference, we could have got through for sure. But uh, um, run into a tough train and, like I said, led by Adam Gray. Yeah. They, were, they were on a mission and, and nobody was stopping them that year.
0: Yeah, and even that game they lost to Medicine Hat, it was 7-6. to six. Yeah. It must have been a wild game to see. I guess see if I can find that on DVD. That that must have been some game. Medicine had a, had a loaded team too. Yeah. So, exactly. but that Windsor team. I mean, Jesus, they. Ju- I was lo- looking at that, and I'm going. They won four nothing. They got a bye. Then they won four nothing, and they won. I'm four nothing. I'm like, holy shit, this team is. That, that that is some impressive bunch. Yeah, of you don't see
1: that very often anymore. Making right? Clean, cleaning the table in the playoffs. Oh, no,
0: God, no. <laughs> so, um, you mentioned that after that, you you were uh you they called you up to play with Fredericton, um, and in the series that you played, it was against Sherbrooke, which was the Canadiens team. So again, you'd only had the one game with Quebec, but you were a hockey fan. You knew about the rivalry. Did that Nordiques Canadiens rivalry extend down to the American League as well?
1: Yeah, I'd say so to an extent
0: that was a split team
1: that year as well. Yeah. And Fred, I think of the Vancouver uh, there, like a yeah. I just spoke tiny about. It. So the rivalry was wasn't as big in the minors, but it was it was the playoffs and yeah. it was a war. Um, I can just remember I didn't. I just remember playing and you know getting my feet wet in the American League, going wow, this is a, this is a tough league and tough games. Coming out of junior. You know, it's it's obviously a big step, but um, come playoffs, I think my, all I remember from that, I don't remember. I think I only played the three games, but was just trying not to make a mistake, or right? yeah. <laughs> just yeah, <right. laughs> Let's not make a mistake, and to be here, right? Your eighteen-year-old, nineteen-year-old, kid, I should say at that time, you know, just get through this and just play. And but uh, it was a good experience It got me to know the pro game a little bit before getting ready for next year to, to turn pro. So,
0: so obviously you were only there for what, maybe a week or so, week and a half, but you had to spend some time with some of the guys I want to ask you about, so um, let's talk about someone who I don't, uh, um, I guess you would have played with them also in Halifax, but uh, your first experience was Jacques Mayotte, uh, one of the true characters ever in the sport, uh, I mean, what was what was playing with Jacques like?
1: Well, uh, uh, I got to know Jacques, obviously, in, in, the, in the American League when I played with him in Halifax, right? mm-hmm. and just a. He was a warrior, like you know, duck. and I. I remember him getting called up to Quebec, and he couldn't have asked for a more happier, appreciative yeah. guide getting called up. Like he was, he was an unbelievable teammate, um, and Jock. He wasn't the best player out there, um, but he he stood up for you, he stood up for himself, he stood up for everybody on his team, and and just a great man. Um, like I said, he he could fight, and and he fought a lot, and like I said, he was <laughs> he was. Just, as tough as they come, that's for
0: sure. And one of the guys who I asked Steiny about, because it was a split affiliation, but um, he wasn't Nordique's property, but I think he's he's as tough as they come, and I, I think he, he also goes under the radar for, for what he's done in his career is Jim Agnew, uh, and you're only with him for a short time, but what do you remember about playing with Jim?
1: Well, same thing as Stiney said, like I said, I think I was there by the time we went through all through the playoffs, it was a month or so, I was down there at least with them and and, and Jim was—he was a tough guy, and I think he surprised a lot of guys. If I remember correctly, I think he was a—he was a lefty, and 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 a lot of guys would come at him. He wasn't your biggest guy, but he 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 caught a lot of guys by surprise, and yeah. and they it ended early for a lot of guys.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he did very well. I, I think it was. Um exhibition game against Ty Domi later on in the career so he did very well against him so yeah I just I love Jim Agnew I think he's tough and it would have been nice to see him get an extended stay uh in the NHL where maybe more people could have seen what he could do
1: yeah he was a tough guy and and a real great guy like I said he was one of the guys that was there that year in Fredericton and and didn't know him well but got to spend a month there and like I said he was a was a good tough man good team guy
0: now the average size of players is is pretty big nowadays back then it wasn't as big but you played with a guy who's just a house Scott Shaughnessy uh, what do you remember about playing with him
1: Oh, Shag was just a monster uh, and then like I said we spent some time in Halifax together for a few years there and <clears throat> good team guy uh, good honest player um, yeah, again didn't didn't go out looking for fights but uh, if you ever needed a guy he was there to back you up and he was tough. Right? He was a, he was one of the bigger guys on our team uh, back then, and, and a good, solid guy for
0: sure. And I guess this would have been your first uh, experience being a teammate of Steiny. Uh, you mentioned him a few times, and uh, just so you know, coming up later, I did—I uh, did get a quote or two from Steiny about uh, his memories of you. So, uh, so what do you remember about Steiny? Oh, uh, you, you... you know what? Tell—tell tell the story that you told me uh, about the helmet thing. Oh yeah,
1: well, like I said, me and Trevor lived together uh, in Halifax uh, for one part of one season there. I think it was one season, and and, um, and Stein is a great man. Like I said, he's funny. I mean, we stay in touch to this day. And and um, funny story about helmet was, yeah. you know, we were always bugging Trevor because he had a nickname. I know you said some nicknames yeah. yesterday. What he had, but one of them didn't come up was lot of guys call him head.
0: well it does come and, up it comes it, up in one of the later episodes oh does it yeah yes, so, absolutely
1: yeah i would call him head and <laughs> and we joke around everybody had their jabs and that was a good thing about the locker room right as you know and yep and uh you know one day just came up somehow my helmet got thrown over and and i you know somebody said holy jesus mac you had a small head and i'm like what do you mean <laughs> and then all of a sudden steiny grabbed the helmet and Try that on Steiny. So, so he tried it on and my helmet, you know, you know, basically was too small for him. So I have to make a thousand apologies to Trevor Steinberg for calling him. he had when my head was smaller than his. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah we do mention it uh we just so people know as of this recording i've only released part one of the steinberg interview so uh that hasn't been out there yet but by the time you hear this that story will will have uh emerged in there so uh so yeah and just so you know what uh the story i got from steiny does stem from when you guys lived together but we'll get oh. into that a little bit later Sounds so good. Uh, <laughs> so now i i'm assuming Going into this third camp with Quebec after, I mean, this is a tale of two seasons really from the season you had before with the injuries to the season that just finished where you got, you were, you know, you personally had some success. The team had a lot of success. You played your first NHL game. um, And now I believe this was the season where you didn't have any more junior eligibility, or you could have gone back as an overager maybe, but um, I would imagine Let's take Andre Savard out of the equation for a second. Going into this camp, you had to feel a lot better than going into the camp before.
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah, I was definitely feeling a lot more confident. Uh, you know, there was. You're right. There's new coaching staff there. Uh, Quebec had a lot of coaches. Yeah. Like, like anybody would say, there was a lot of change over there, and um, felt pretty good going into training camp. Thought I had a real good, solid training camp. I, I can't remember how many exhibition games I played, but I know I played a. Quite a few, um, you know, and, and I was ready, I thought, but disappointment set up when you know set out we got sent down. But like I said, it was more about uh, going down, learning the program, go down, play well, and basically the message I believe I remember correctly was go down, play well, play hard, you will get called up, you know. And it took a while. Um, I think it was after Christmas of the first year, and ended up getting called back, called up from Halifax after a pretty good start in Halifax, and. And um, ended up staying the rest of the year after
0: that. One thing I want to point out to, to the listeners here, um, if you go and look at Ken's DB and everything, Ken, Ken is one of those players that I, I cite a lot in terms of when you were actually given a chance to play. And unfortunately, a lot of times that came in the minors. You you not only did, did your job in terms of the physical aspect, but you put up points everywhere you went when you were given a regular shift and a chance to play. So that's not necessarily anything for you to comment on. I just want people to understand that where I think a lot of times people who play physical, uh, they sort of get typecast but i don't think people do the extra effort and actually look and see well he yeah. went to this team he's playing first line second line minutes and he's putting up points too so i just want to point that out to everybody i think you're 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 in that camp with a lot of guys where uh when you got a chance to play you did you did produce whether you know maybe it wasn't at the nhl level if you didn't get as much time there but um playing in the minors you were always a top line player you always produced so i just wanted to put that out there
1: yeah, no, and that's exactly right. There's a lot of players, and the, the, just to comment further, and there's a lot of players that are very similar to, say, if you look at my numbers, uh, that scored 30 goals, 30-plus 30 goals in the American League and had a couple hundred penalty minutes, but then when they get to the NHL, maybe you got to remember you're going from the American League to the NHL, so they're that much better players. And, and like I said, there's a there's a whole bunch of guys like myself that, you know, maybe – can't say it, they weren't given the chance, but maybe if they got a little bit more ice time and maybe they got a little bit more power play time and got a little more confidence, a lot of guys like that would have got a lot more games in the NHL and a lot more points in the NHL. But you remember, you're going to the best league in the world. There's not enough ice for everybody. So you've right. got to find a role and to be able to stay there. And some guys find a role and some guys don't, right? So right. it's just a matter of getting there and trying to stay with whatever they ask you to do.
0: Well, and I'll even take it a step further. For someone like yourself who who got, you know, first, second line minutes everywhere you went, um, you're not going to go mm-hmm. up to Quebec and take Joe Sakic's place. You know? Exactly. But but so now, you know, you are used to playing first, second line. Now you're on the third or fourth line. I actually give credit to someone like yourself who has to adapt because your ultimate goal is to stay in the NHL. So, all right, so you're playing 20 minutes, 25 minutes a night in the American League. So now you call, get called up to the NHL. You're maybe going to play six, eight minutes. Um, and obviously people think, oh, well, you're making NHL money, which was good back then. It's nothing like today. But still, yeah. y- you're a player. Your goal is to be the best player you can be. And now they're basically saying, well, you're going to be on the third line, fourth line. You're not going to play as much. That's that's an adjustment for a player as well, isn't it?
1: Oh, for sure it is. Like, that's, that's a big-time adjustment. Like you say, you come up and playing that many minutes in the minors and all situations, power play, penalty kill, And then you come up and you got to make yourself notice somehow playing on the third or fourth line. So your biggest thing is like, like I think Trevor mentioned yesterday, you just go out and you do what you have to do, whether it's body checks, you got to fight the odd time, you got to fight. I was by no means a tough heavyweight type of guy. I didn't back down from anybody. Um, Maybe I should have a few times. (laughs) Yeah, there's a few uh, guys
0: I want to ask you about that in that vein, but go ahead.
1: Yeah, exactly. But you know what? You did what you did to get ice time and stay in the lineup and and that's what that's how I grew up playing right from midget to junior 8 through to pro so like I said I, I wasn't the toughest but I, I learned to you know play hard and and never back down from anybody and you, every now and then you had to take a beating and if that's what it was to stand up for a teammate that's what you did
0: now, this training camp was the training camp that there was sort of the beginning of the changing of the guard for the, for Quebec's heavyweight. Uh, the established heavyweight was Gord Donnelly. Um, and then you had the young upstart, uh, Darren Kimball, coming in. And I believe this was the camp where they had a few battles where... Um, Kimby was very impressive with his fights with Gord. Um, and obviously, you're you're concerned about yourself. Obviously, you want to make the team. But do you remember when that was going on? Obviously, Kimby's doing what he has to do to make an impression, and Gord's doing what he has to do to keep his job. Do you remember that?
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. There was those guys. Uh, back, back then, our scrimmages always oh. had two or three or four five fights like it didn't matter if you scrimmaged in the morning and back out the afternoon there was guys going like it was just you know those guys and there were some other guys there at training camp too I don't want to bleed I got to put the lead the years together but I can remember Kimby definitely fighting Gord, Gord there and, and Gord was a tough man and <laughs> oh, Kimby's yeah. a tough man and there were some wars and they're trying to win each other's spot but there's that respect factor there too right and mm. You know, I can remember the one year, I think it was a year or so after, like, not only was, you know, all the tough guys there, Smitty and and, 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 uh, Gore Donnelly, and there was Jock, there was Kimby, there was uh, one year there was Cordic. Like, so every year there was somebody in there that, you know, the reverse surge was there. Like, so there was some wars in our training camps, there's no doubt about that.
0: Yeah, that was, we're going to talk about that. That was 91-92 with Serge and Cordick and everything, because I wanted to ask you a few questions about that. Um, yeah. But I believe this, this training camp, and I, I assume you played against Greg Smith in the OHL, uh, I think you might have, but this was your first experience with him as a teammate, and uh, you know, unfortunately, he's a guy that I'll never have the chance to interview. So, I'm trying to get everyone's memories about about Bird Dog because he just seems to be so beloved by everyone that he's ever played with. So, what are your memories about Greg Smith? Well,
1: Bird Dog was a you know a great man. Like I said, he was a great teammate. Um, didn't like playing against him much. <laughs> when I did play against him. Um, I, I think. Trevor mentioned this in his uh, interview. The thing that made Bird a little scary was his unpredictability. Um, like you say, maybe he, he, he'd show up and fight anybody, but you just never knew what he was going to do when he didn't fight. <laughs> <It> was, <laughs> that was the big thing with Smitty. So, like I said, he was a great man. I had the chance to play with him in bits and pieces at Quebec and Halifax for a few years. And and, and like I said, you know, he was... He was the ultimate teammate. Um, always didn't like what you maybe had to say to him or he'd say to you, but you know what? After the game, go have a beer, and it was all over with, right? So we miss him, and, um, yeah, he was a hell of a teammate.
0: And those are the best guys in a way because even if you don't like what he has to say or he doesn't like what you have to say, there's, you don't you don't have any question where you stand at any point. You know exactly where you stand. He knows where he stands, and I I think it's – The world would just be a better place if people were like that. But like you said, you may not like what he has to say, but you know where you stand.
1: Well, for sure. And that's the way Smitty was. There's a few guys like that. I remember Kevin McClellan. We can get into that down the road. There's guys like that that, you know what, you don't always see eye to eye, but, you know, and you might have a battle and you might have a few fuck you fights, which (laughs) I've had with both those guys, you know what, And, and, but, Next day, we're laughing about it, and you're you're back out going to war with the guy. So uh, both, you know, I like I said, Smitty, I, I'd give anything to hang out and have a drink with him again. He's a great man.
0: I'd, I, that's the impression I get with him. You can have a fuck you fight with him, and then five minutes later, if someone's threatening you, he's going to push you out of the way to battle for you.
1: That's exactly it.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, two guys I want to ask you about, um, defensemen that I think sort of go under the radar. One, because I think people remember him with other teams. And the other guy, just because I just think he did his job with no fanfare. I'd sort of equate him to like a Ken Danico type with New Jersey. Uh, Randy Moeller, who I think people may remember him more with Florida or the Rangers. And Stephen Finn, you know, just two two hardworking guys, stay-at-home guys. What do you remember about playing with those guys?
1: Well, exactly that. Like I said, uh, Finner was, he was a strong man, like, Big, big, strong. Uh, upper body, tough, strong. He uh, hit a lot, battled a lot. You know, he didn't, you know, he fought, but he, he wasn't going to go out and look for it every right. night. He was just a steady, stay home guy. Real solid, good teammate. And similar to Randy. Uh, like, he, Randy was a tough guy. It was tough. You didn't mess with him. I actually ended up fighting, I think, Randy. Yes. <laughs> Back uh, when he was with the Rangers mm-hmm. later on. And, you know, at the end of it, we are kind of laughing about it uh, at the end of the fight. But it was just... We knew we both had to do it at that time because there was a little bit extracurricular stuff going on in the (laughs) ice uh, around us. Um, But, yeah, Randy, like I said, real solid teammate, Um, level-headed, level-key, but, you know, was there, good, solid. Like, again, both those guys were – you look at the numbers in Quebec, the plus-minuses over those years, there were some pretty bad negatives in there, but those guys held the fort down a lot uh, as two steady stay home defensemen type of guys.
0: Uh, we talked about Peter Stassny already. Uh, I would say probably the two best players you ever played with in Quebec, probably Peter, uh, well, Michel Goulet too, but then we, we mentioned Joe Sakic. You saw the, the emergence of Joe Sakic. Uh Obviously, he, you being an Ontario guy, him being in the West, you didn't really see him play uh, as juniors, but now you're getting your first opportunity to see Joe Sakic. What was that like watching this kid who just, like you just watching greatness happen before your eyes?
1: Oh, he, he, Joe was, just, yeah, it was, that's what it was, greatness before your eyes.
0: Yeah,
1: he, yeah. he he actually could have played the year before, and I think he went back to junior on his own uh, terms to, to get another year under his belt because he didn't think he, you know, was ready, but he was ready. <laughs> like, <laughs> he was ready to play on that team. And then, you know, what he did and came up and just to witness it and watch it. Um, he obviously uh, he saw Peter and Michelle and guys like that. Um, they were established already. But for a young guy to come in like that with Joe, he was, I just remember the release and the, the quickness back then. Like, you just didn't see guys shoot the puck that quick and put it, get it away with different angles and different areas where he'd score from and stuff. So, but um, great guy and glad he's had great success, you know, winning the cup last year as a GM and, in Colorado. And yeah, you can't say enough about him. He was, uh, you yeah, know, he put up some big numbers for us.
0: And, and you know what? I think there are certain guys who are easy to root for, and Joe's one of those guys. Like I, I, I met Joe once, maybe for two minutes, and but I've always been a fan of his. And you know, some guys may rub you the wrong way or anything, but he just is, he's just such an easy guy to root for. Like you said, when when Colorado won the cup last year, I was rooting for them, and uh, you know, it's just cool to see. You know, he's good, he could be the gem there for another fifteen years. You know, because they're going to be successful, and it's just good to see good things happen to good people.
1: Well, yeah, he's a very, you know, you don't get many more uh, guys with much
0: more class than, than Joe, that's for sure. Well, speaking of class, I want to talk about Darren Kimball right now. Um, <laughs> <you know. laughs> so, uh, Darren Kimball, I asked him what he what he remembered about you, and a and, uh, couple of things he said was he wanted me to ask you about uh, a year-end party and tequila. Uh, does, this, <laughs> does this ring a bell at all?
1: Oh, that rings a very good bell, yeah.
0: <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, do tell.
1: Well, we uh, we we had some fun in Quebec, uh, likely too much. Too much. <laughs> you got you got you know you got the bagel bar there, and and uh, it was a year-end party. And and he's like, Hop. I got to remember." You look down the list; we had such a good group of guys. But mm-hmm. I remember the one year that was a year. And I think there was there was me, Kimby, Curtis LeCision, uh Joe Sakic, The whole list was down. Cutting the whole list. We all lived in the same apartment building, just on different floors Mm -hmm. in different condos (laughs) on different floors. And the year end party, we, uh, you know, it's year end party, the season's over, but, uh, we, uh, we went, uh, went out as a team and everybody kind of slowly dropped off as a team as the night went on. And, um, yeah, we decided to do some tequila shots. I think it was me, Tugger and all the boys, Mm -hmm. Kimby and, and so forth. And, uh, Likely one or two too many. Let's put it that way. And, <laughs> and uh, but if I recall right, I believe I, I, I think I made my meeting the next morning. But I don't think Darren made the year end meeting with the uh, with the GM and coach. So I don't think it went over very well. I mean, even though it was a year end. Yeah. Um, they thought we still should make it for the year-end meeting. so. <laughs> oh,
0: all right, well, I'll have to – let me make a note of that. If he can ever learn Skype, we'll have to bring that one up too. So. Yeah. Uh, but and... uh, I have,
1: let's, let's just put it this way. Uh, Darren and I were the winners. Um, <laughs> we won the challenge, and we paid for it for the two days after, I think.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've i had tequila once. I had a, a few shots one night. I just think it's like battery acid. I, it's, I'm not a fan, so definitely not a fan.
1: No, it uh, it uh, it definitely put. Uh, I don't think I've had very many sense then. Yeah.
0: Put it that way. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and one thing he brought up was uh, time that you got called up together and you lived together, and uh, I want to. We'll talk about this later. There are a few of your fights that stand out in your career. He said his favorite fight of yours was against Mike Keene, and uh, and we'll yeah. talk about that in a little bit. Um, Trevor Steinberg, we're gonna circle back to Steiny here now. So Steiny, his story also involves alcohol. Okay, for when you guys lived together in Halifax, and um, so this is—I'm uh, going to quote this. Okay, uh, what I remember is his drunk ass staring at me while I slept, hovering over me, saying "pussy," you didn't go out with me, you're a pussy. You're—he's yeah. in my doorway at 3 a.m., and he goes, his face when he's hung over gets distorted; it takes on a new shape, like a furnace face. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, yeah, so that I guess maybe that's his answer to head.
1: yeah, I guess that would be, yeah it was likely you know yeah Trevor picked his spots, and I guess you know I think a whole group of us were going were all going out that night it was a it was a green light night, it was a you know it's a time where we could go and didn't practice for a day or two later and and Steiner decided I don't know, he was likely pouting about something, and you know didn't play much the night before or something. And, you know, I just let them know it the next day. That's all, and you know, there you know. But uh, I've got some funny. Uh, yeah, I've got a few funny stories uh, when me and Kimby lived together. Uh, we we'll, we'll definitely should get to later. Uh, and Darren would remember these. But uh, um, yeah, Steiny was a great roommate. Like I said, at least he he could he could cook. I'll give him that.
0: Yeah, I heard about that. We, we discussed that. We discussed his culinary skills. So, yeah. <laughs> but but him and I say he's a modest guy. And, and even he admitted he's not sure if he was a good cook or if he was just better than everybody else, which doesn't necessarily make him a good cook.
1: So, that's true, too. Yeah. Yeah. He was just better than me at that time. <laughs> that's for sure.
0: <laughs> well, hey, listen, let's not wait. Why don't we get into some Kimby stories when you live together?
1: Well, there's a couple of funny stories, um, and not necessarily just just me and Kimby we were yeah. living together, okay. but, um, you know, we always used to laugh, because in Quebec, is sponsored by Molson's back then, and they'd, uh, they'd give you a case of beer every month. Um, every month? Each player, every month, they'd get a case of beer for each player, and, okay. you know, basically, some guys didn't want their coupons, so they'd give them to the other players, or the younger players, the older guys, we didn't want them. So well, obviously, our house, you know, we had about a stack of 8 or 10 cases of beer each, and we were just stockpiling and taking it home for the summer, right? right? That's all we wanted to do. <laughs> but a uh, funny story, uh, a couple of them actually involving my cousin and a few friends. So me and Kimmy lived together, obviously, instead and said. And my cousin come down. He was a big, strong guy, a farm boy. And they had come down for the weekend at Quebec to watch me play. And there was about three or four of them that came in. And they, they said, we're going to get there a little bit early, about three-and-a-half-hour drive from where I'm from the Quebec City. So they said, we'll get there a little bit early. And I said, well, that's okay. Let yourselves in, but don't be too loud. Me and Kimby are going to be sleeping, pregame game nap. And then there's beer there, you know, help yourself to it. So lo and behold, me and Kimby wake up. I don't know how much sleep you got, because they, were, weren't, they weren't very quiet. At <laughs> and we come out, and they're... Already three-quarters of the way there. They went through I don't know how many cases of beer between – I think there was four of them up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I'm giving them my tickets and Kimby's tickets to sit. So we got a pair of tickets each. So they're sitting and, you know, they're going to be in the stands watching the game. Well, the game's not till 7.30 or 7, whatever it was in Quebec. Back then. And they've got a long way to go yet. <laughs> so we're like, oh, boy. So anyway, long and short, game was on. It's played. Well, after the game – we come out and they're just you know they're just beyond yeah. beyond they've been drinking the whole game so this is a, there's a couple different stories but this one they were down for a few games so anyway they come out and they go i found out my cousin bada boom who was the nordiques mascot yeah. they were so wound up and drinking that they were taunting him and they jumped that my cousin had jumped from the up above, down, and tackled the mascot at the Northeast game. So, I'm like, <laughs> they're sitting, you know, and bad enough, they're sitting in the players, where the players' seats are, right? I'm like, right. oh, my God, guys, what are you doing? Everybody goes, oh, that's nothing. He goes, you guys got off to a bad start, and and Greg Mellon let in that crappy goal, and we were yelling at him, Mellon, you suck, Mellon, you suck. Well, guess who's sitting right in front of him? His wife. Oh, no. So Jesus I'm like, Christ. oh, my God, I'm going to get killed when it comes to practicing My name is going to be upset oh. with me. They're going to be after me because somebody beat up the mascot. <laughs> and I'm like, never again. So there's a couple of funny stories there. The worst one of all was it might have been the same trip. We come out after the game, and they were bugging me and bugging me for um, a Gila Fleur autograph stick. So I get my cousin a Gila Fleur autograph stick. Now they've been drinking all day. I'll give them that. We come out. Nobody's going to drive. So we are trying to hail a cab coming out of the Colise. And my cousin Jeff flags down a cab. And he goes, nope, sorry, can't take you. Can't take you. There's a lineup, this and that. He goes, what if I give you this Guy Lafleur autograph stick? Well, <laughs> the cab driver takes the stick, stops the cab. We all pile in. I'm like, are you kidding me? I just got you he <laughs> a autograph stick from Guy Lafleur. He gave it away to the cab driver to drive us to the Dago Bear.
0: Oh fuck. Um,
1: That's <laughs> craziness. Like that cab driver's going, sure, of course he did. <laughs>
0: oh I, I hope you never let him forget this. Oh, I never
1: every time I see him I'm like, I can't believe you. he brings it up himself. He goes, I can't believe I gave away a Gila Fleur autograph stick <laughs> for a cab ride I go, Neither can I
0: so wow. uh, I, I those are I... just
1: a few funny stories and
0: good times in fact, I'll tell you. Well, I'm glad you put him on blast here. I only wish I had a bigger audience to hear but uh to hear this, but oh my God, that's uh that's lunacy.
1: So, yes, that was. That's what I that's what we and even his buddies were like, Are you nuts? And like <laughs> Oh well.
0: I'm just surprised that you only got one case I'm thinking one case of beer. Like I'm thinking Kimby gets a coupon for one case of beer. He's done with that probably by the end of the day.
1: Oh, and that's why we that's why we kind of the older guys on the team that their wives wouldn't let them yeah. stock yeah. up on it. We took all their <laughs> certificates, yeah. But, um, yeah, it didn't last long in our house, uh, for
0: sure. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So we'll get back to the season here. In the preseason, uh, you had, uh, as far as I, I found, I found two fights that you had uh one against a guy who was sort of up and coming as well and one against a veteran at the time uh stefan and i don't know how these went i didn't see video uh stefan quintel of the bruins and then al secord of toronto now i'm assuming al secord is someone you probably grew up watching
1: yeah i believe so i don't remember both those fights uh greatly i i remember the quintel one a little bit stefan uh you know good solid tough, mm-hmm. tough character didn't fight a lot but uh I, I, I imagine the LC chord one, if I would bear to think different, I would likely was kind of maybe had to hold on for my life on that one because Al's a – you know, he would have been a little bit older than me and then he's a lot tougher
0: than me. so <laughs> <laughs> Just kind of seatbelt him and hold on. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Uh, so after that camp, you were sent to Halifax. And again, like I said earlier, 41 games, exactly 41 points, 20 goals, 21 assists, 87 penalty minutes. Uh reunited with uh, Shags and Max. A couple other guys I want to ask you about uh who uh, JM Rutier who actually did get a game or two up in Quebec. What do you remember about playing with him?
1: Oh, Jean Marc, yeah, he was a good kid. He was uh he was quite a character. Uh he, like I said, uh we were young. We had a lot of young guys on that team as you can see and yeah. And like I said, Jean Marc was uh was was a solid player. Um a lot of guys in that team, like I said, that uh you know, we're we're good we had a good hockey team that year and uh and, and as you can see some of the older guys that were a little older were all solid veterans, Claude Julian
0: and guys like that. Um what do you remember about playing with Dean Hopkins?
1: Uh, Hoppy. Uh he was uh he's <laughs> Hoppy was a great guy, and he was intense, and, and he was almost like military style, I want to say, like he, just because the way he had his hair, he always had the crew cut haircut, and he, and he was, and like I said, that time, Hoppy didn't fight much, or didn't do anything, he, would, he, he did every now and then, but he was just a tough, great team leader, uh, went on to become the assistant coach there, and yeah, and he's, um, like I said, he is a legend in the in the Halifax area, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, I don't know if you know much about a guy that you fought here with the Islanders, Chris Pryor. Um, stuff I've heard about Dean Hopkins, him and Pryor are very similar. Pryor is very, uh, I've heard that used, term used about him, like very military-like. He always had the military haircut and everything, very strict, very uh, by the book, like organized. And that's the impression I get about Dean Hopkins also. Yeah,
1: no, Hoppy was a real good guy. And like I said, he wasn't afraid to tell you what he thought. And he was just doing it, um, you know, to keep you on track and, and remind you who you were and didn't let you get yourself too far ahead of yourself. You know what I mean? And, yep. and um, yeah, he was a good teammate.
0: Yeah, that you just described Chris Pryor pretty much to a T. <laughs> so, uh, and then I got to ask you about the guy who I don't care what kind of shape you're in. You didn't want to stand next to him with your shirt off. And that's uh, Brent Severin. Tell me what you oh. remember about playing with Sev.
1: Exactly that, Sevi man. He was he was a man child. That guy, like, uh, I uh, I look at Sevi I compare him to my buddy Scott Pearson. Scotty was the same way. They're both cut out of stone and and like I said, Sevi was big, tough, strong. Like and like I said back then, he didn't he didn't fight as much back back then. Uh, he went on to have a great career, obviously, and turn himself into a good, tough, solid. You know, defenseman. He played a little bit of forward, I think, down yeah. after that. Even, um, but no, I love Brent. Uh, Sebi was a good guy, but he, like you said, just a just a man child. Uh, the way he was built, you didn't see guys like that much back then, right? That were that big and cut and and could move. And yeah, you didn't. You were knocking him over, that's for sure.
0: <laughs> and both yeah. him and both him and Scott Pearson, uh, tremendous mullet games, also.
1: Oh, big time. Yeah. yeah. My buddy, Scott, like uh, Scott's around the same area as mine. Scott Pierce, best mullet ever. Like he had the long mullet <laughs> hair.
0: Some of you was right there, but Scott overtakes him by a little bit on that. <laughs> and, and speaking of the mullets, I think this was the year, uh, obviously Scott wasn't with the organization yet. This was the year of the uh, the rookies with the shaved heads, uh, I believe. Yes, it, all, it looked like the Hare Krishnas were uh, playing for Halifax. What was the genesis behind that? Especially because I remember the early game uh, you played in Springfield. Everyone that had a fight lost their buckets. So everyone that's getting escorted off the ice, even John Forslund uh, mentioned it on the broadcast about how all you guys had crew cuts.
1: Well, yeah, we all got, uh, yeah, that was the one bad thing about that. We all, we all, they all shaved us, uh, shaved their heads and then had team pictures. And uh, (laughs) we all got no hair. It it just, it was quite a sight. I think there's one picture out there somewhere where they all had us all lined up together and every one of us. And there was a, I can't remember. We had a lot of, like a lot of rookies that year. At least, I want to say six or seven at least. But uh, yeah, we all had the, the mullets were gone for a while. (laughs)
0: And I think they must have taken all the pictures for those pro cards, the hockey cards, really early in the season, because every one of your cards, all you guys that year, you all have the crew cuts.
1: Yeah, we all, that's right, yeah, it was, uh, the hockey card
0: pictures were taken not shortly after that, because we were just starting to grow back. (laughs) (laughs) So, actually, getting back to that game I mentioned in Springfield, uh, you fought Vern Smith that night. The um, fight was along the boards. Um, the officials got in pretty quickly, but I don't know if if Vern maybe did something to you because uh, in that fight you were very aggressive. You didn't really want to stop. Uh, you didn't really want to stop throwing. And uh, it was. And Vern's a tough guy in his own right, and it wasn't bad enough that he had already fought Kimby that game. Uh, do you remember that fight? I, I remember the fight. I don't remember why I didn't want to stop
1: stuff uh, going uh, he must have I don't know he, I, I wouldn't want to guess what happened but yeah. I remember Bernie was a tough guy no doubt about it he was a gamer and uh, likely maybe he got me a little extra job somewhere and I just wasn't going to let it let it go but uh, um, I had a bit of a temper temper uh, when I played <laughs> and I you know like I said I wasn't afraid to use give my give the stick and I had to take some back and that's the way it went
0: well you got to let him know you're there right that's right
1: yeah yeah that's right
0: So you played a few games uh, with Halifax and then you get called up for three games uh, with Quebec all on the road. And you actually got to play in a couple of cool arenas back then. Uh, You played in Washington, which from what I remember was in the middle of nowhere, very dark arena. But then after that, you got to play in St. Louis and Chicago. And uh, I think, no matter how old you are playing in those in those arenas is pretty cool but for a young kid experiencing that I mean those are two really loud arenas especially with Chicago with that organ. Uh, what was that experience like playing in those arenas?
1: Oh it was great going back to those and playing in those vintage buildings is what you call them, I guess but I Chicago Stadium yeah that that to me is just it, it's unbelievable you know you dress down below and come up and you can't even hear yourself think when the anthem is on and and um, just just a great building to play. I loved playing in Chicago. You know, I was fortunate enough. I, I think I played the last regular season game ever there when I was with the Leafs. Mm-hmm. And I played the last playoff game, the last game ever there uh, during the playoffs that year. And our playoff run in Toronto, I played in the, the last game in Chicago Stadium, I believe it was. So one of my favorites for sure to play in.
0: Once you go back down to Halifax, there's a player that you get involved with a few times and uh, would later, I guess, be, uh, become one of your good friends. And I, I love this guy. I love him. Uh, what a pain in the ass Brent Hughes must have been to play against, especially during his uh, American League tenure with Moncton. And uh, I think he played with Baltimore. What a what a prick, right, to play against? Oh, oh Hughesy was. a Yeah,
1: Hughesy, like I said, that's the perfect word for him. He was a prick, and he, <laughs> he was hard to play again, and he was, and he was tough, yep. you know, tough, hard nose. He could play, and he could score, and, and yeah. I had some battles with him in Moncton, and, uh, for sure, and we had some, some wars and, and later on down the road um, in Houston, we got together, and then we actually coached in the, the WHL uh, together, and just, a, he's a great guy, mm-hmm. phenomenal guy, um but again just like you said he was hard to play against I wouldn't be the only guy to tell you that but just a real good guy do anything for you um and you know I I credit him for you know I get into coaching after I had to retire early because of my injury uh um, and I get into coaching in Houston with Dave Tippett and Dave Barr and then kind of uh, we won the Turner Cup that year and then and then I usually get into coaching the following year and uh I was trying to get my foot in the door, and there wasn't going to be a position in Houston. He opened the door in, in Austin, and we coached together, and that's kind of what opened it up. So, owe oh, a lot to him. And like I said, I don't talk to him much. I've lost to touch with him a bit. But uh, like I said, if I was to see him tomorrow, it'd be just like you know, let's go have a drink and have some fun and talk about our days, right? But but you're right. He was a he was a hard-nosed player, and he was hard to play against.
0: Yeah, the uh, a lot of the uh, team AHL fight tapes you know, made their way out in the late 80s and early 90s, and fuck, he is on every tape driving somebody crazy. I mean, I, he did his job. I was actually, I know he got some games at Winnipeg, but there were times I'm watching those tapes going, how the hell did he not really get a legitimate chance with them? Because every tape he's driving someone crazy he's fighting guys that are way bigger than him he's pissing people off and it's not like winnipeg was a powerhouse back then i always wondered why you know and obviously politics are always a a thing with uh well with anything but in sports and i just say like i I always feel like and we were fortunate enough to have him here on the island for for a short bit too yeah just like i just always think a guy like brent hughes Always made something happen on every shift, like I, I say that about killer also, like every shift Hughes was out there, something happened. You may not like it if he's not on your team, but man, you never got cheated with him. I will say that
1: well, no, that's for sure, and I, and I think that goes with like i think back then if I think correctly, I think the coach in Munston back then at that time was Rick Bonus, <laughs> yeah I think that makes sense yeah, he's still around in, yeah. in Winnipeg now, but I think one of the things is like for a guy like. Husey or, or players like that, uh, similar to the way I played a bit, I guess, and, and shiny and different players like that. You gotta have the right coach that wants to have that on his team, and you can only have so many of those guys. We understand that in a team. So, but you're right. Husey was a he was a guy, and he got got to the island there and did well there. And like I said, he's, he he could play and he could do it all. Um, in essence, fight, play a little bit dirty if he had to, and 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 then he was a good man.
0: Yeah, I'm not the biggest Mike Milbury fan. I actually loathe him as a GM here, uh, but I think bringing in Hughes is—I mean, he did do a few things that I liked, and, and Hughes is one of his guys that he brought in from the Bruins. So, uh, I'd say there's probably four or five things that Mike did that I that I'm okay with, and that was one of them. So, <laughs> you know, uh, so you get you get called back up to Quebec. Um, there's a you fight you fought a guy in Buffalo, Jeff Parker. Not so much interested in that fight. What I want to know is, earlier in the game, you found yourself face to face with an absolute legend in Larry Playfair. I'm uh, wondering if you knew about Larry Playfair, and just you know, and obviously he was at the end of his career there, but he's still a big, strong, intimidating guy with with a reputation to match. Uh, were you aware of Larry at the time when he grabbed you?
1: Well, I was where after you grabbed me, for sure. I, was likely, <laughs> I, like, I likely shouldn't have boxed uh, him or, or challenged him or whatever. I stupidly did that. Night. Uh, um, but again, that's one of those things. I remember the Jeff Barker fight. That's yeah. more my category. Um, yeah, with Larry, uh, you know, big, strong guy, I likely was out of my league again. But just one of those things where you're just trying to do something to be noticed and stay in the league and, and, and make a presence while you're out there. But yeah, likely not somebody I was uh, I was willing to stand back and, and throw them toe to toe at a little bit a uh, little bit more experience and a, a little bit tougher than I was, that's
0: for sure. <laughs> well, well, speaking of a guy who's a little bit tougher, a guy that's a little bit tougher than most of us, uh, and then you fought him a few times, and then later, lucky, luckily for you, you became his teammate. I think this was the season you had your first running with Rudy Poshek. Uh, yeah. Now, Rudy, Rudy, not only is tough, he looks the part. Yeah, I mean, he's a scary-looking guy, strong as hell. I mean, and a guy who went through the wars, you know, Kimby with Kimby down in the Western League. Uh, what do you remember about fighting Rudy? Well, I remember
1: when I fought him with uh, the Rangers. I think that's where yeah. it was. He was with mm-hmm. the Rangers, and
0: it wasn't. It was
1: a, i think I did okay in that fight. You um, held your own. You definitely was tough. did. Yep. Yeah, he was a tough man. Um, like I said, I don't think I I won that fight by all means. I stood in there and held my way against him, but he. Uh, He scared me when I played with him because he was so quiet sometimes. (laughs) Uh, He was very, I want to say he was very intense, but in a quiet manner. He'd sit there in a stall and, you know, he was, I know what he was doing, just analyzing the game and figuring out who was on the other team and who would, maybe who he'd have to fight or who he'd have to come up. But Rudy was, again, good, solid teammate, um, but uh, tough as nails. And uh, I'm sure you've heard this from other guys. I don't know if I've ever seen him get cut yep. like i don't know if he if he, you know he had to face a face uh, that you know like a leather you basically you guys could hit it and it, it wasn't phasing him but uh again so many tough guys back then in the american league nhl at that time that i that i run up against that um had the chance to play against them and play with them and see two, two totally different sides of them right
0: now when you played with him i don't know if, if he was uh into it as much then as he was later on his career apparently Rudy became a very very good cook so we talk about Steiny back in the day, where he may have just been better than everybody. But I know Rudy, at least when he w- reached Tampa Bay, whenever they would sort of talk about him, when they didn't want to necessarily just focus solely on the fighting, they talked about his culinary skills. Was did you see any signs of those when you were? No, Stine? I didn't see any signs of that
1: back then. No, I did not. So I must have been after my time with him.
0: Yeah, maybe he honed it uh, once he was up in the NHL with Tampa as a regular. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, apparently he's a very he's. Uh, I, I don't know. He might be approaching chef territory. Maybe he, he crossed the line from cook. He may be a chef. I don't know. But uh, but that was one thing they always spoke about with him. So, um, now we go to your next training camp. I at a certain point, and this is one of the things I wanna I asked Steiny about. Like, do you ever feel like it's make or break? Like, you had your year pro, let, you know, the season before. You spent a lot of time in Quebec. A lot of times, Halifax. You never feel comfortable, like you know, set. But but is there a certain part where you go? I this is like a make or break year for me. I something's got to give.
1: Yeah, there is. Like I said, I you know, if you go back, and every year you go into training camp, and after you get a taste of the NHL, you want to be able to just get there and stay. Mm-hmm. And every year you think, okay, this is a year I can make it and, and stick and stay and, and set my. It just never. You know, I I think maybe if we were better as better teams, Mm -hmm. it might have been more of an easier path that way. But I think as the team struggled so much, there was always interchangeable pieces. The big Mm -hmm. thing, and and then and Steine would say the same thing, and Kimby and any of those guys that were up and down a few times. Back then, what really hurt guys was contracts, because some guys were on one-ways. They weren't getting sent down back then, and two-way guys were, right? So... That was always in the back of your head. If you weren't on a one-way contract, there was always that thing that you could—you were going to get sent down if you didn't play well, right? Because right. it was an easy right. choice. But I think that's one thing that you know a lot of guys that were in my situation, similar, maybe cost us some games in NHL just the contracts we were on. But like in sense, you know, you had to show up and had to play every night. And when you didn't produce or didn't, you know, didn't play, it was a show. It wasn't long before you were on a flight to Halifax or St. Right. John's or wherever, right? So, um, But, yeah, it was kind of that year, you know, you would hope that, you know, after I spent the full year in, in Quebec, I was, you know, hoping that well, I'd that, be able to that's this year. State. That's yeah. the season
0: yeah. that we're talking about now. The, yeah. the season where you spent the full year. So I, so that's what I wanted to ask you. So now you find out you made team. So yeah. how, is, how do you find out that you make the team and this is the first time you start the year with with quebec how do you find out that you finally made the team
1: they basically just tell us you know you're gonna you're, you're here go get a place that was the whole thing anytime they were told go get a place you're on the team right and that you're right that's year ninety ninety one, i guess yep. it was yep. and and basically they you know they tell us go get a place so you're good and you know and i guess that that was a big year for me the fact that you know kind of got my foot in the door and stayed for the whole year. I missed some injury, time with injury. I missed, uh, you know, X amount of games being being hurt there a little bit too. But uh, I guess that's where you really get the taste and you want to stay there. Unfortunately, the next year, another coaching change, I believe, and then more change, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it definitely wasn't what I was looking for. I would have liked to have been kind of permanent there, but it
0: didn't happen that way. Well, we're going to stay in this season where you were permanent, and what I wanted to ask you is, this was the year they brought back Michel Bergeron. And yeah. how much, how much do you think he factored into you staying in Quebec the whole year? Oh, quite
1: a bit, Bergie. You know, I was, I was his type of player, I mm-hmm. guess, if you want to say, or uh, you know, any of the guys that played hard and played tough and, and did go through the wall for you. That's the kind of. That's the kind of guy Berge wanted on his team so definitely uh, you know, that that was a big contributor that I was able to stay there that season Um, you know got to play with some good guys that year I actually played uh, some games online with uh, Mike Huff and Michelle Goulet and and guys like that and and, you know was was getting some third line minutes and you know we we struggled as a team big time like obviously um, but still just being able to play in the NHL for the full year was something
0: that was you know was awesome and uh, this year was I believe your first experience with the killer Kevin Kaminsky so when I say that name what what comes to mind well
1: killers killer I love that guy man mm. is I what comes to mind is warrior yep. no fear no limits uh, just and, and again another guy that he could play he could play in the American League and score and, and make plays. Um, but he he put his body first and his fists first for his teammates. And like I said, he's still coaching out there now, yep. being a leader yep. as a coach in junior hockey at West. And like I said, uh, just another guy I've got all the time in the world for. Um, like I said, he's a great teammate. And he was always doing something funny, whether it was on the ice or off the ice, keeping the guys loose. And, and like I said, he was he was a guy that, yeah he,
0: if you if you wanted to
1: go to war you wanted him on your side
0: oh 100 percent um another player i want to ask you about another first round pick uh daniel dory and i know he had injuries i really didn't know how bad his back was till i spoke to Steiny. he said his back was just just awful and uh, and i wasn't aware of that i knew he had a lot of injuries but uh what do you remember about playing with daniel just a big man yeah. big
1: big hard strong guy he could skate he was, Kind of just that that phase where they come out where the guys were becoming better skaters than we were because I was never a great skater. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Steiny mentioned the same thing. Uh, you know, we but that was kind of the next phase coming out after that. Guys were getting bigger and they were getting faster too. Um, he was hurt, yeah, and I didn't realize at that time either. He missed a lot of time, and you know, you never know because hockey players don't like to tell people they're hurt, right? And you know, they try and battle through it and fight through it, and ultimately, he's cut short. You know, career was cut short with injuries and that, but uh, just a good, solid guy. And just, you, you know, he was a, he could run run through a wall because he was big and strong, that's for sure. Uh,
0: you played with a guy, he only got a handful of games with Quebec that year, but he was a veteran guy, played a tough player. Uh, I believe he played with Philadelphia a little bit, uh, Washington. Uh, like I said, he was just there for a short time. Do you remember Greg Adams?
1: Yeah, yeah, I remember Greg. Yeah, Greg was uh, yeah, just briefly uh, there. He was... Like I said, good, solid veteran player. I don't didn't spend a lot of time with him, but he was there for that short time coming over, and, you know, we were a young team, so just one of those guys that they're bringing in as a, a guy that brings some quality leadership and help out the younger younger group like ourselves, but uh, good player.
0: Yeah, he's a real good player and a good teammate. Um, what's it like playing with Guy <laughs> Like you look down <laughs> the bench and Guy Lafleur is on your bench. He's in your locker room in between periods, he's smoking cigarettes. Like well, I mean, we, we mentioned Peter, we mentioned Joe and and I'm I'm their biggest advocate, especially Peter. I, I think he's very underrated for the career that he had. Um but there are just certain players and Guy Lafleur is one of them that you just you say Guy, it's Guy LaFleur and now you're you're playing and you look down the bench and there's Guy Lafleur.
1: Oh, it was unbelievable. Like, yeah, you're right. He's back in the trainer's room mm-hmm. having a cigarette, and then he comes out, <laughs> and he's flying down the wing, ripping slappers. Uh, you know, it's just he was he was funny guy as much in the locker room. Uh, like I said, I loved the guy in the locker room. He always kept the guys loose. He was always a prankster trying to prank guys. But, yeah, on the ice, just a legend. Like I say, back then, like, what, 34 points, 39 games that year. And, and you know, he's... 37 years old, right? And we're all in our early 20s, right? So he, he, uh, but just an opportunity, you you never forget that, right? Um, You know, obviously I was a Toronto fan, so I never loved Montreal, but I always knew who Guy Lafleur was (laughs) because he was always, (laughs) always beaten up on, on my Leafs. But, um, yeah, it was, that was one of the, one of the highlight guys, if you ever get a chance, like you said, I played some great hockey players, but, you know, play with guys like Joe and, and Guy and Peter, uh, Dale Hunter, those guys all those guys that
0: uh, I just you know
1: it's quite an honor
0: did you call him Mr Lefleur <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: I I think I might have when at first when he first came along and I think Kimby Kimby that Kimby still calls him Mr That's LeFleur.
0: his guy that's his Derek sibling yep. right? and
1: uh, I think he set us straight we used to play cards on the back of the plane and that in Quebec and he's like Will you quit calling me just call me gee <laughs> you know what i mean
0: <laughs> so you know what, I mentioned my collection back here. You know what would be cool if you had a signed Gila Fleur stick? What, what do you think about that? That would be pretty cool, especially if someone gifted it to you.
1: Well, exactly. No kidding. Yeah, I, <laughs> but God, I, that story's already been talked about. Yeah. I, think I, I think I have one somewhere.
0: I'm not going to go
1: through my pile of sticks, but I, I know I didn't give mine away. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Um. Actually, and I, I'm going to kick myself here because uh, sometimes I get the scrolly thing here on the mouse uh I, I go a little too fast. I neglected to ask you about your first NHL goal, and that's something that I, I always like to ask the guys. Um, and I scrolled right past that in my zeal to get to other questions. But uh, can you take me back to your first NHL goal?
1: Yeah, I actually uh, the first goal scored two of them in that game against New Jersey um, in New Jersey. Uh, so I think I'm not mistaken. I believe the goaltender was Bob Sleva. I Thanks. think back then, a long time ago, but. Yeah, just um, I want to say I went end to end or whatever, but um, that wasn't the case. I think I just come across, cut kind across of the blue line, and took a quick wrister that went through the defenseman's legs and caught the goalie off guard, and that was my first goal. And I ended up getting another one that same night. So uh, they were far and few between. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was quite, a, you know, to get the puck and still got it to this day. And like I said, it was uh, something you always dream of, and um, you know. You, You know, to say I would have got it in New Jersey, would you like to got it sooner or at home or something like that? But it doesn't matter. As long when that puck was in the net, it's quite a feeling.
0: Well, growing up an Islanders fan, not so much during the glory years, but in the down years, it seemed like every player got their first NHL goal against the Islanders. I always say there's Islander pucks all across Canada and Europe uh, from first (laughs) NHL goals. But what I'm realizing doing this show and doing the research, it seems like a lot of you guys got your first NHL goals against New Jersey.
1: Yeah, well, I was gonna say. I think Steiny got his first against New Jersey too, didn't and,
0: he? Yeah, and so did Kimby.
1: That's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, they must not have been very good, doctor then
0: either. Then. <laughs> That's I'm, I'm going wait. Yeah, everyone, everyone on Quebec gets their first NHL goal against New Jersey. So, thanks for giving the Islanders a break a little bit. They they handled the other teams, but yeah, yeah. It's, it's pretty funny having uh, having all the Quebec guys get their first NHL goal against Jersey. Uh. <laughs> so. We start this season 89-90. Now you had a game early in the season against Hartford. You fought Ed Kastelik. It wasn't much of a fight, a lot of wrestling along the boards, but this was the game where uh, Kimby fought Mark LaForge. And I remember watching that on TV because we, a sports channel back then, they, they'd put a lot of the Whalers games on and, you know, Blackhawks and Kings and those guys. And, and Hartford was on all the time. And i remember watching that fight and i was like i went nuts and i like mark laforge don't get me wrong but you know kimby's one of my all-time favorites and i remember watching that on tv what was that like watching it from uh from ice level
1: uh, It it's pretty scary um and i know 4g too for yeah. a great guy uh, sudbury boy and yeah. i know i yeah. know him and you know he's 4g was a little bit of uh like a little bit of bird dog in him he never knew what yeah. he was going to do if he was going to fight or, or whack you with a stick and that's just the way he was and that's what that's what kept you on edge around him and you know give him credit he t- squared off with kimby and uh kimby got him with yeah with a got him with a really good one that um you know as you know not to be too gory but the blood went everywhere and and um you know it was, a, it was a tough fight for 4g but uh you know kimby surprised a lot of people uh coming up in those first few years like he you know he's just a big strong farm boy that could could hammer them and chuck them pretty good yeah. and uh and like i said give 4g credit uh, i don't know if he knew what he was walking into at that point
0: yeah and it's funny you say that he surprised people i've had this discussion with a lot of people over the years about kimby and uh, I, I always say for a guy who who did what he did and it's, and it, it wasn't like he snuck up on anybody if you look at his western league stuff people i mean he was one of the toughest guys down there and and then you know talk about Halifax and stuff but i I agree with you I think he did take a lot of guys by surprise and i I don't understand it it just it's odd to me and uh, and obviously there's no internet back then there's no youtube but uh, i just uh it, it just strikes me odd and even now like in our little fight nerd groups and everything i think people respect him uh but i i always say i'm not sure i think he gets the credit he deserves for the resume he put out there
1: oh no for sure like his his resume speaks for itself i witnessed a lot of those fights uh you know uh, the dave browns that he fought and you know he tell you the story after the first <laughs> a funny story on that one when he yeah. fought dave brown he beat dave up pretty good and and uh i think kimmy was wearing a joffa at the <laughs> the next time Dave Brown goes, We're going again as soon as we go out of the box and the next one Dave got Kimby a couple of good ones and next day in the dressing room Kimby goes, I don't think I'm gonna wear my Joe fit anymore and we're like, Well, why not? And he like had friggin' goose eggs on the top of his head. He couldn't get it on anymore but um but yeah, he he didn't he he beat up a lot of guys and and, and and like I said, he's the toughest, one of the toughest guys I've ever played with. Um, like you said, he said he'd come to throw them, and and when he threw them, and he could take punches. And like I said, I he's not like I say when he snuck up on a lot of people. I think a lot of people like just rated him and, and found out in a hurry that that was a mistake.
0: Yeah, it's funny with Dave Brown because for a young guy, you know, Stu Grimson went through it. Darren Kimball, it's like beating Dave Brown is a great thing to have on your resume. The problem is. He's coming back. You yeah. Know? And that, that's the big thing. It's like, oh, hey, I hey, beat Dave Brown. That's great. Oh, shit. Here he comes again because uh, he has a pretty long memory. And uh, The good thing about Brown is he usually got you back right away. You know,
1: yeah, that's so, right. Well, that didn't take long. And then like five <laughs> minutes in the box yeah. and they're we back at it again.
0: <laughs> yep. Um, the fight I mentioned with Chris Pryor again, and again, I just want to give you credit because I, I, I don't want to get lost in this whole thing where we talk about a lot of your scraps. You were a first-round pick. You did put up points. You, you were a player. Uh, and it, it really just more along the lines of, the. for people that may not have ever seen it, the whole reason you fought Chris Pryor was because he was taking liberties with Peter. And, uh, and you jumped in to, to defend Peter. And, and that's part of the job. And again, it's nothing that you really have to comment on if you remember the incident but I, I just like to bring that up that you know to me the role the the enforcer the protector it, it's the most noble and selfless role in sports because you're really putting yourself on the line so others can be successful and uh and this was just another case where chris Pryor, physical player uh taking liberties with peter and you stepped right in there i'm sure you didn't even think twice
1: no and that's when whenever that's one thing you know we're I guess I was taught from other coaches previously uh, if your star players or your top players are getting pushed around and you know you know we don't want them in the penalty box or them paying the beating someone else just step up and you know that just be you know like I said I know Chris Pryor was a was a gamer mm-hmm. and a top competitor and, and you know by jumping in there I don't remember it a hundred percent I remember yeah it happening and like I said, I, I could be a shit disturber at, at the best of times, too, and I deserve my fair share coming back at me. But, uh, um, you know, anytime someone gets your star player, you got to step in, whether it's a Sackick or, 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 you know, or a Peter Saskier you know, or whoever. But um, that's kind of just the way it was back then. Things have changed now, obviously, in today's game. It's not – you don't see that as much. You know, A clean hit now causes the guy to jump in, you know, which is – that's the way it is. Um, back then, same thing would have happened except there'd be, you know, it's not just a wrestling match, somebody was actually going to pay for taking a hit at your big guy, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I think nowadays, I, you know, to me, I'm not a fan, really, of how the sports played, and I think a lot of these guys now, they don't, back then, you players just accepting, accepted hitting as a part of the game, where now guys get hit, and it's almost like they're shocked that they got hit, they come, they go in with their head down, they get laid out, and they just like, they're shocked, and their teammates are shocked, so they don't know what to do. And then, like you say, it evolves into a scrum, and nobody drops their gloves. It's really just a total waste of time. Yeah, uh, it is.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. The game is definitely has changed in that yeah. essence, and yeah, like I said, a good hit back then was a good hit, and don't yeah. get me wrong, yeah. if it was a good hit on your top player, right? you know, someone was going to come out and, and go after you, no doubt about it, and that, that's happened to all of us, but mm-hmm now it yeah it's definitely changed a bit um unfortunately i i still like that part of the game and mm-hmm. and but you know, things move on and we just have to deal with it as we move forward
0: yeah and i think with that that particular incident i'm talking about and it really was an innocuous part of just a regular season game Uh, but but it kind of highlights the different roles that players have. You know, Peter Stastny, Hall of Famer, great player. Chris Pryor, always a bubble guy, spent a lot of time in Springfield, played some games on the island, but for Chris Pryor to get noticed, he's got to go in and do something, get noticed. So what better way to do it than to maybe rough up the best player on the other team? And then here comes you, another guy, you know, young guy trying to make your bones. So you're going to go in and step in for Peter, deal with Chris Pryor. And I just think, a situation like that is kind of lost nowadays but but back then that was sort of like a a perfect storm in a way because peter's peter his job is secure chris needs to do something to get noticed and then you need to to go in and handle it and also you get noticed and i, I just kind of liked it better when the game was like that
1: yeah exactly
0: uh so now this was um the first your first run in with uh with a, a future teammate you mentioned kevin McClelland. Uh, I think he ended up fighting him three or four times. Uh, and at this point he's a veteran Stanley cup champion. Uh, he always had that look and, and I always think guys look a little more intimidating with the Knucklebuster Cooper as much as I like the CCM helmet. I think, uh, Kevin switched to the, he did wear the CCM a little bit with Edmonton, went to the Knucklebuster, and then with Detroit, uh, he went full time to that and he always had that kind of intense look. And this was your first run in with him. Uh, and, and the first, first couple of fights, but you guys very technical, uh, a lot of holding on. Nobody could really get loose, but what do you remember about your series of fights with uh, a guy who later became your teammate?
1: Well, yeah, you know, Kevin was a, he was a tough character and he was a character. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love the guy. Um, I, on, played with them, and then he had coached against them for a few years back uh, in the Central League and that too. But um, yeah, I remember fighting them in Detroit and kind of yeah, it was like I said, it was likely me holding on more than him. Um, so, <laughs> but I think the Detroit one, I don't know if I got him down at the last minute or whatever one of them, I can't recall. But uh, you know, he, he he never let you forget anything, right? He was always chirping and talking, and I know we had a. Pretty good fight uh, when I was, I believe, at Halifax, and he was from St. John's. Mm-hmm. Uh, we yes. had a fight there, and, and, and it was a pretty good battle. But uh, he's a lot tougher than I ever was, that's for sure. And um, he he, um, he was a treat to play with, not to play against, obviously. Yeah. But some funny stories of Macker when we played together in St. John's. I remember when I got you know, traded to Toronto, And come in there and was in St. John's, one of his first things was, like, there's only one Mac in this room, and that's me. He goes, that's me, Big Mac. Never forget it. You know what I mean? Like, that's, there's his introduction right there, right? You know what I mean? But um, just a funny guy, you know, funny team guy, and, uh, yeah, we had some laughs together, for sure.
0: Uh, what was it about Al Peterson that you two guys couldn't seem to be on the ice at the same time? You always seem to run into him I, I i doubt there's anything personal there, but uh I know he's a uh, he's a big man, but uh two of you always seem to have to be separated. Was there anything there or just uh I you
1: know. yeah, I don't know what that was. I can remember that vaguely myself <laughs> yeah. that, that Al and I always kind of come together, and I don't think either one of us was a Biggest, you know, I was a big man, but yeah. he didn't did fight a ton, and and I was more of an agitator. I'd fight when I had to, but uh, we always seemed to have a few run-ins and some some tussles and <laughs> that. But uh, I don't think there was anything in particular about it, whether than maybe just that, you know, we were the secondary group of guys that needed to, you know, cause a stir, possibly. Boston and had some tough guys above us, so, um,
0: so there was a game against the Sabers. Uh, You had a fight with Scott Arneal. You did very well in that fight. This was a game where Dean Kennedy uh, put Guy Lafleur out with a broken cheekbone. Um, Mm -hmm. And, again, I'm a fan of Frontier Justice, okay? I I like this stuff. And, and, you know, our coach here, Al Arbor, you know, everyone, he's sort of a different personality than Michelle Bergeron, but I think they're from the same school. Uh, And uh, after that happened, Michelle, I don't know if you remember this, he put out a line of yourself. Darren Kimball and Paul Gillis. And on defense was Michelle Petit and Steven Finn. And uh, that next shift did not go well for Rick Vive. So I don't know if you remember that whole thing. You remember the hit on Gee and, and the aftermath. Do you remember that?
1: Yes, I remember the hit on Gee for sure. And, you know, I fight with, with Arnie, Scott Arneal, who I know a bit. Uh, mm-hmm. I watched Scott play when he was with the Cornwall Royals back in the day. Loved, the, loved that mm-hmm. team, loved him as a player too. Um, but, uh, yeah, I remember, you know, Dean hitting, uh, Guy and, and cutting him pretty bad against yeah. the glass. And I remember the next line and I know, uh, I, I can't recall exactly. Was it Darren fight? What happened with Rick? Darren,
0: well, he come up behind him and he, uh, you know, Hey, and listen, fair is fair. I mean, you know, Gee's out with a broken cheekbone. And, uh, Darren came up behind Rick vive and just popped him right in the back of the head and it led to a full scale melee.
1: Yeah, I remember. Yeah, and that's what I remember. I couldn't remember if it was a cross check or a punch that I did, but I remember. Yeah, I remember that we we kind of put out a crew, and I was in the middle of it uh, with, with the, you know, and, and and Gilly, Paul Gillis was a, one of the best jet disturbers ever. Oh my god, um, yeah. and love him. I love him to death. Uh, and and Gilly, Gilly would stand up and just he you know he he didn't have to fight. He didn't want to fight. I don't think that much, but he loved to stir the pot and. Uh, and, and yeah we um yeah but you're right you know took a little bit of liberties on a legend like gila fleur and uh yeah i remember the little bit of a melee breaking out after that for sure
0: well i rem- when i was researching this and researching for kimby's interview i remember hearing some of the buffalo people they were shitting on kimby saying oh how do you do that to a guy like rick vive and i'm like wait a second did you not see what happened right before this like, and, I, yeah, and exactly. I like rick vibe and, and you know i think he's a great player and he's a guy that stood up for himself i mean back then i think a lot of everyone no whether you were a 10 goal scorer 50 goal scorer you stood up for yourself and rick vive was was a really good player but i would laugh when i'd hear this criticism going wait a second where were you five minutes ago you know Gila a pretty good player too you know so. <laughs> uh, but you know what was, i always laughed about paul gillis i laugh and as i go through the dvds and i watch it i always wonder how many fights he got other guys into you know, just, well, uh, yeah. you know, he'd stir it up and then other guys would come in to handle it. And I always laugh because I remember a game here on the island where Gillis is starting shit and he, he fights Ken Baumgartner, who's basically in the prime. Like, Bomber here with the Islanders was unbelievable. Oh, yeah. And I, I think Bomber ended it with like two or three punches. Now I'm going, all the fights in your career that you kind of got out of and you want to stand in with this guy, I never understood. I mean, Gillis, tough guy, don't get me wrong, but I'm like, man. You could have fought a lot of guys not as tough as the bomber.
1: Yeah, no, we I mean, don't want to mess. I remember Ken, Ken back in the day played with him in Toronto yep, in a little yep. bit, and the bomber was, that was his heyday. And yeah, he didn't, he was a tough man, didn't want to stay away. We used to bug Gilly, like he, how many sticks he would go through, because he loved just, loved chopping <laughs> chopping down trees out there. And uh, <laughs> But uh, yeah, he was, a, he was a good disturber, that's for sure.
0: And then, uh, I don't know if you remember, but the next night, it was uh, the home-and-home home at Buffalo. Next night, you squared off with Dean Kennedy. I'm assuming that was in response to the hit on Gee.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think it was. And, you know, again, Dean was a tough guy. I don't think I, I – I don't know how well I did in that fight, but um, that was just in response to that. I don't know if Kimby ended up fighting anybody that night or not. But, uh, um, yeah, that was a – yeah, wasn't a good thing that happened. And you got to do something to, you know, just to stand your ground, right? Um, but, uh, you know, that's back then, you know, yep. stuff like that happened and it was settled on the ice shortly after it happened.
0: <laughs> no, and that, and I think that's uh, that's the way it should be, but that's a completely different show and I'll be here for hours and I know we're, we're <laughs> limited for time right now. Yeah. Um, so we've mentioned a few guys that you fought that were big and strong. And in this season, you fought a guy who's big, strong, and has – one of the largest gas tanks ever. Uh, what's it like to be in a fight with Marty McSorley that seems like it's never going to end? Well, yeah, I never thought
1: it was going to end because I don't know <laughs> what I was thinking. <laughs> I remember that fight To That fight. I, I, they beat us up bad in LA. I don't like 10 to four, or nine to four. So I scored a goal and I think it was like the, maybe seven or eight to three years. It wasn't close at that time. Anyway, in the next, he's out there just hammering me a cross check across the back i turn around and i'm like oh no i'm gonna have to fight this guy so i'm like you know try to throw a punch and i think his shirt and everything like marty style comes off and then i spent the next however long trying to turn my head and avoid getting hit uh, for the next 15 punches or whatever but uh, um yeah marty was quite a uh, quite a, a tough man and could fight and go on forever out of my league for sure but uh like I said, he—I uh, wasn't going to back down. That's right. the way I played. But um, you don't win them all as long as you show up for some of them. But uh, um, funny story about Marty. Just not to get off track, but he cost me four front teeth, Marty, and a broken upper jaw. We were, I was playing—we were playing in L.A. and it was in Quebec, and um, I was in on a semi-breakaway, and Kelly Rudy poke checked me, and then he poke checked me, and I flew through the air. And, Mar- and Marty met me on the other side and cross-checked me right in the face,
2: oh, knocked
1: out all four of my teeth, um, broke my upper jaw. Spent like six hours in the dentist chair from the second period till about four in the morning, oh, getting shit. wired, getting wired, shut and getting fixed up. Anyway, long and short of it was, i missed. You know, I missed a little bit of time and then come back and play in the full cage. But I ran into Marty. I don't know how many what it was after this at a bar after one of the games we played them and. Uh, He's like, yeah. He goes, oh man, you know, sorry to, sorry what happened in that game. I, I didn't mean to do that. If it was any Calgary Flame, I would have did it, but not just not to, just anybody. And I'm like sitting there going, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, yeah, sure, Marty, you didn't mean to do that. Like, you know how Marty played, right? Yeah. There's no, there was no, no in between with Marty. He played hard and tough and. And a little bit dirty, I think, at times, right? So, yep. Oh yeah. But uh, it was, I thought it was a funny comment. I didn't. Really, I wouldn't have meant to do that to a guy like you. I just would have did it to any of one of the Calgary Flames back in my Edmonton days. <laughs> <Well>, of course.
0: <laughs> well, it's like I say all the time when when uh, when Dale Hunter was with Washington and he and he cheap shot at Turgeon after the goal, and then after the game, and I always say to Dale's credit, he, he stood up with the media and everything, and he looked the media dead in the face and said. Oh, I didn't know the puck went in the net. And I'm like, come on, you know, the puck went in the net, you know, but, but these guys, and again, you know, from the same sort of, of school, it's like, well, I didn't know the puck went in. And it's like, you're full of shit. You know, it went in, but they have that look in their eyes. And like Marty, just, I'm sure when he said it, he, he sounded sincere and maybe he honestly believed it, but no one else is buying it.
1: No, I think back. And that's one thing, like the, the, there was so much care, like everybody cared about each other. Everybody cared about the game. Everybody, and, and it was so intense that things like that with the Dale Hunter thing and, and other million things you can think back of guys, you know, guys are so focused on winning and so focused on getting the job done that. Yeah. It led to sometimes some pretty bad things happening on the ice. And did they regret it after possibly, but Most not likely, because that's how intense guys were, and that's how focused they were back then, just to be, you know, you got to the NHL, you were doing everything to stay there, and that's what guys did.
0: Probably, in terms of your fighting, the highlight of this season was a battle that you had with Mike Keane. And this was uh even one of the things that Kimby brought up when uh, when I mentioned your name to him. He said that's probably uh his favorite fight of yours is the battle that you had with Mike Keen. And I there are times where I wonder if people you know, I think fight fans realize how tough Mike Keen is. He's in the I remember he had a war with Bill Guerin once, similar to your fight. And uh I know in the back in the Western League I think he was even uh named the uh, you know, best fighter one year and the best of the West Pole they have. So Mike Keen is you know, people may not realize just how tough he is, and you had an absolute war with him. What do you remember about that fight?
1: Oh, that was quite a, quite a battle, yeah. It's likely one of my, you know, one of my uh, the biggest toe-to-toe, uh, like I said, I was no means a heavyweight guy, and, and not the Keen was either, but he was tough as nails. He was, like you said, one of the tougher guys that surprised, I think surprised a lot of people. So <clears throat> that one and the Bob Dawson fight, likely with, with two highlights of mine uh, that were be toe-to-toe ones, that night was a, it was a, it was an interesting night. Um, I don't know if Kimby told you the whole story, but, um, we had, we were playing in Montreal on the forum and obviously, uh, we were getting beat up. Burns, was the coach on the other side and, and you know, we were having a tough year. So we, hockey night in Canada, the Montreal forum, let's get things going. So I, you know, just playing my chippy self, you know, you know, a little bit of a shit disturber game wasn't going great. And, uh, Went out and, you know, come across Mike and give him a little whack. And then he turned around and gave me a little whack. Next thing you know, we're going. And it was a great battle, no doubt about it. We both got each other with some pretty good punches, I I believe. Uh, and then shortly after that, the fight went on for a good little while. And shortly after that, Kimby dropped the gloves with Claude Lemieux and had an epic battle with Claude, which another guy that, you know, People always said, you know, oh, Claude, you know, he's a rat. He was this, he's that. And he, he was all of that to play against. There's no doubt about it, but he was also tough. Um, but and Kimby had a battle with him and what a fight that was. And um, all I remember is coming off, they were kind of close to each other. So we got sent to the dress rooms. I remember Don Cherry back then, Hockey Inc Canada were down uh, downstairs. Don Cherry and Ron McLean did their shows right outside almost the dress room. And... Uh, Don Cherry grabbing us both and saying, you guys, that's that's showing some heart, et cetera, et cetera. At least you care out there. And these other guys, you know, don't sort of thing. And, you know, Don Cherry just just spoke it as it came, right? So that was quite a, I'll never forget that. Because not very often you come off the ice and Don Cherry's waiting for you right there saying, great scrap. You know, how to show you care and
0: that. I don't, I mean, does it get better than that? I'm not sure it does.
1: I don't think it does. Like I said, uh, you know, other than getting the, I had the interview, and I was, like think, with the, the Leafs on Hockey Night in Canada with mm-hmm. Don Cherry and Ron McLean mm-hmm. one time. My one uh, one venture <laughs> on that. You got the you got the Hockey Night in Canada towel over yep. your shoulders. That was pretty cool. But I'd have to say that won't be one of the coolest things when 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 Don was you know pumping me and Darren up uh, after we got thrown out of the game essentially, or for the rest of the period. It might have been at the end of the period, so we just sent us to the locker rooms, but. Yeah, that was a that was a couple of good battles that night that we each had against Montreal. Bernsey Bernsey wasn't too happy. Maybe that's why he <laughs> traded for me down the road. He liked what he saw there.
0: <laughs> hey, you never know. I guess every game is an audition for down the road. Maybe you don't know. Um, that fight, Kimby's fight with Lemieux. There are there are a handful of fights of his that are are highlights for me, and that's one of them. And uh, hopefully, I can. Uh, figure out how to help darren uh hook up skype and he can tell you firsthand about that fight but uh i just i just love the whole lead up to it and uh to me that's just that's just classic kimby just the whole thing like the whole western league sort of showmanship thing with the glove putting the glove down you know nice and easy basically warning basically warning him to drop his gloves i'm gonna hit you i i just love that and i can't wait oh it was it
1: was awesome. Like, you know, obviously Lemieux wasn't going to go, didn't want to go maybe yeah. with him, but whenever Kimby laid both gloves at his feet, it was kind of like, uh, well, I guess this is happening now. Right? So, <laughs> it was a pretty special night. That, that was pretty funny.
0: Now, I I think for for someone like myself, someone who's never been a professional athlete, and uh, you always say, man, I'd kill to play uh, one game in the NHL, you know, just whatever, you know, just give my right arm, that whole thing. Um, That Quebec team that year was a historically bad team. But you played you played up the whole season. And I think sometimes people may get it twisted in saying, well, you know, you played on a bad team, but you played up the whole year. But I think part of what gets you guys to that level is you're a competitor. So while you're grateful for being up and you're grateful for being a full-time NHLer that year, the competitor in you, that had to be difficult, you know, the constant losing.
1: It was for sure, you know, it was a tough season, um, but you, you have to find a way to, number one, stay in the league, uh, and stay in the lineup every given night, um, so at that point, <clears throat> that's what it was, if you weren't doing something else, you better show up and battle and play chippy, and if you got to fight, you have to fight. Um, but you know, one thing is you wanna stay in the NHL. It was a tough, long season. We had a very young team, we had a lot of eight, nine young guys, like I think I went through the list last time, Saki, Tugnut, Kimball, myself, a whole bunch of a whole ton of young guys. Um, it was a really rough year, but you know what? You're playing in the NHL. <laughs> you don't complain about it. No, you're no, lucky what? you're very yeah, you're very lucky and And it was just fortunate that, you know, uh, I would have loved to play 400 more games in NHL. Uh, It didn't work that way, but you take advantage of what you're given and, and, you know, we made the most of that year, that's for sure.